You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Folks, that's our new intro video. Welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco, my producer tonight, pushing all the buttons backstage. James, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Different on a Monday night we're doing the show tonight. But other than that, I'm great. Yeah, a little Monday night Labor Day special. And we're doing this on Monday night because Kyle Russo suggested we do our fantasy football draft tomorrow night, which... For those who are speculating, no, it will not be live streamed because I have back-to-backs, unfortunately. But that's why we're doing the show tonight and not on Tuesday. But we have a very special show in store. Before we introduce our first two guests, make sure to go follow us below on all our social media platforms, our YouTube channel on Review and Preview Sports. We have a bunch of AFC preview videos from last week. And also on Instagram, Twitter, and like our Facebook page as well, at Review and Preview Sports. We will get you back. Really do appreciate it. Want to leave a comment? Feel free to drop it in the comment section, and we will get to that. Without further ado, James, let's bring up our first two guests of the evening, Brian Attard and Michael Etta from the Sportsbox Highly Opinionated Show, Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Gentlemen, welcome back. What up, guys? How are you? Doing good. It's... It's that time of week, and I couldn't ask two better guests to come on this week because you're teeing off against each other. What's that? that, that what's that, that been like? Yeah, that's a ha- that's a happy accident. I actually also have my fancy draft tomorrow night, so we're actually preempted this week. But so I'm glad to be on with you guys because we had no show this week as a result. <laughs> James, I, I know as a fellow Giants fan, I know I'm really looking forward to going to MetLife this weekend for Week One against the Denver Broncos. So that's going to be a lot of fun, but. Brian and Mike, we're going to talk about both your teams. I just want to quickly preview Tampa Bay, and then we'll go over to Dallas, and then we'll somewhat preview the game. Uh, but before we start, can you guys just plug your highly opinionated show and where people can find it? Mike? I mean, sure, we're every Tuesday night at 830. We, we give a full gamut of the spectrum. We talk hockey. We talk football. We talk basketball. We talk about everything. We don't fight as much as we used to, I guess, because we know each other so well. But uh, – no, we have, we have a great time. We've been doing this for – I've been doing it for six. Brian's been doing it for five as my partner. So it's we're having a blast. We're doing it every Tuesday night at 8.30. We got an array of shows during the week. We have two MMA shows, uh, a baseball show, a basketball show, a golf show that I do. Um, it, it's a full gamut. We love sports, and we got the guys that will do it for us. So. Sportsbox Network keeps growing. I forget how many shows we're up to now, but it's it, – it's, nice. you know, when it was just me and him, like, doing stuff, like, it's you, you don't really think, like, it could actually, like, Actually, get bigger like out, of my basement, out of my basement with a cell phone, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of like with you guys. Like first, it was review and preview, and then like you know grew, grew from there, which is awesome. I love seeing that. I, I love seeing people that we like do really well and grow. So, yep. uh, kind of in kind of in the same boat. Happy to uh, be here tonight. 
Appreciate that. And I know you guys are based down in Hamilton, New Jersey. So hope you guys are okay with the with the with the storm and everything. I know rainstorm yeah. is really bad. Yeah, it went right up the 95 car door, missed us by about an hour here where we're at. So uh yeah, I mean to all those people that, that got hit from it, we're praying for you. Hope everything is well and you know you guys get back on your feet. So we we were very lucky where we were, yeah. probably about what, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes away. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a couple EF3 e, tornadoes, which never happened in Jersey. So, uh, yeah, we, we got lucky this time. So, As long as everybody's okay, that's the biggest yeah, yeah. thing. But, Mike, I want to start with your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They won the big game last year, but they didn't win the NFC South. They won it as a wild card. They went 11-5. and five. So I want to touch upon them first with Brian and yourself. Uh, my first question to you is, Tom Brady heads into his second season with the Bucs. Does the father of time lead this team to another deep playoff run, or is there something that could potentially get in the way of that? It's funny that I I always bring this up, and Brian knows it too. I always say that I was wrong when, the, when they first signed Brady coming to this team. I said, first show we did, I said, you know what? I don't like the move. And they were like, what are you talking about? the guy?" I said, listen, the guy's been in New England for 20 years. He's going to learn a whole new offense now. He's going to be in his 40s. He's going to hit the wall soon. I was like, is he going to hit it with my bucks? Is he going to come in here and just kind of, you know, for the last two, three years of his existence, just be awful, the Tom Brady that we never saw. But you know what? I was wrong, and he could play to least 60 for all I care now because I, I was wrong. This guy's got a great work ethic. He doesn't want to lose. He, he pushes and pushes and pushes. And you know what? Last year he was, you know, 65% pass compl- completion, uh, 4,600 yards passing, 40 touchdowns. 12 interceptions and, you know, a rating of 102. I don't know how, you know, you expect the guy to do it again, but you know what? He probably will. He'll probably come close to those numbers again. And they were, they were enough to get them as far as they did last year. Um, But, you know, like you said, Tom, they didn't win a division last year either with those numbers. You think he he probably would have, but I mean, they got in as a wild card. They had a lot of momentum. Their secondary has gotten a lot better and and the defense played phenomenal um, all the way to the, the Super Bowl. So that really catapulted him. But to your, to your question about Tom Brady, I think he could do it again. I think he can, he can come pretty close. If he's a little bit short of that, I'm, I'm fine with that. But, I mean, to me, he's still, he's still an MVP quarterback right now. He's just playing at that level. Absolutely. I think it's very intriguing to watch Tampa Bay this season, seeing if they can take over that NFC South. Obviously, the quarterback change with the New Orleans Saints, yeah. Drew Brees retiring and now Jameis Winston taking over the reins and the Saints at least through the first month of the season won't even be playing any home games so they're already at a slight disadvantage there with that I believe they're playing the Packers in Jacksonville guys I don't know yeah that's correct yeah uh, paper official but it's going to be very interesting to see and speaking of Jacksonville uh, James I know the Bucks have an interesting running back combination that we wanted to touch upon tonight with the guys Yes, they had Larry Fournette returns in the backfield with Ronald Jones, and the receiver core features a talented pool of players starting Mike Evans, 13 touchdowns last year. Is there a guy that you you think Brady favors? So having all these other weapons now with him, does Brady favor one guy, or is he going to everybody? I think he's going to spread it out like he always does. You know, the Tom Brady that – that wins never takes one guy. I mean, yeah, he has Gronk as a safety valve, and he's had him there for years, and he has him again in Tampa Bay. But I think that's the beauty of the offense. It keeps you on your heels as a defense that you spread it around. And you got guys like Antonio Brown, uh, you know, Godwin, Evans, 
Cameron Bray, he's kind of forgotten in the cause because of Gronk. But, I mean, here, here's a guy who catches the ball for him. And, and even Scotty Miller out of the slot. So, no, he, he spreads it around to everybody very evenly. And I think that's why he's as good as he is. He has the time back there to sit back and analyze what's going on out there and will just pick you apart and just dink and dunk down the field. Tom Brady doesn't have to throw the ball 40, 50 yards downfield anymore. He just, you know, gets his gets his first downs, moves the ball, keeps him moving down the field, and, and just gets the job done. Brian, I want to get to you here. The Bucks have an interesting receiving corpse. Is there any player that really sticks out to you on that receiving corpse? Because I know Dallas has a loading receiving mm-hmm. corpse, but from the outside looking in, is there a player that you're scared to play in this week one matchup? I mean, I, I think you can make the case of the top two receiving groups in the NFL. If, if nothing, they're both top five at the absolute very least. And I think that the scary one is a guy like Mike Evans because, you know, he's always been like the number one, but like a quiet number one. He hasn't really gotten the the, the, the dap around the league for being the elite receiver because he doesn't really run his mouth. You know, a lot of receivers run their mouths. That's really kind of what, you know, gets them, you know, to, to the, the level of notoriety. But, you know, it, it's really – who who are you going to let beat you? Because when, when you're that deep at receiver, someone's going to get open, especially with that quarterback and that offensive line. So to me, I think Mike Evans is the game breaker of them all. You know, Godwin's Godwin's very good as well. It's one A and one B Antonio Brown. It depends how he feels that day and if he's not arrested or not, but you know, Mike Evans is the one I think is the one you really need to worry about. Just he's really the complete package at, at that position. And, you know, I, if you're talking about game planning to take away a team's primary threat, it, you'd be hard pressed to say it's not him. Yeah, and Mike, I really like Jalen Darden too. I know I talked to you about him uh, briefly in the offseason. I don't know if you've seen anything him that stuck out to you in preseason. He kind of reminds me of that typical slot receiver type of guy, like maybe a quicker version of Scotty Miller. What What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think I think he's a guy that definitely can be looked for in the future at wide receiver. I mean, this this course loaded right now, so I don't know how much time he's going to see, but he's going to be their punt returner. Um, and he's, he's, he's fast. He can turn the corner on a dime. Um, and it, 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 it's, I'm not going to talk about a hall of fame guy that I think he's like, but a Michael Spurlock, if you remember when he played for the box, he's mm-hmm. one of the first punt returners that ran back a punt for the box. And he ran two more back after that. So he's the kind of guy they need back there to fill out kind of special teams, to have a guy that's kind of a threat to return something. So <clears throat> I think you're going to see a lot with him. Um, in their punt return team, he's he's had some nice punt returns. He hasn't broken any, but he's he's got some nice speed, and that's going to be uh, just a stepping stone for the future for him. And now this question goes out to both of you, um, and James, if you want anything to chip in on this, feel free to mm-hmm. as well. The offensive line—they're coming off a very solid 2020 campaign. Tristan Wirfs is a player I wish the Giants would have drafted fourth <laughs> overall. Looking back on it, but. What are your thoughts on that O-line? They seem to be a very together type of group. There's not one guy that stands out. I mean, maybe there is, um, Mike, from an insider's view. But to me, from an outsider, it seems more of like a cohesive unit where it's a group of five guys do their job. It's not a team where, like, oh, like the Ravens have Ronnie Stanley and he's their guy. But what are your general thoughts on the O-line? Driver. I mean, they're one of the best in football. Um, you know, and, and, and I agree with you that like, nobody's like, you know, the, uh, the, the star or the stud, but I mean, they, they put resources into it. Again, you mentioned Tristan Wirfs, who was a first round pick two years ago. Um, you know, it, it, this is not a secret as Brady gets older, he can't run as easily. I mean, he'll pick you apart if he has the time. So, you know, really that's a big strength of their team and, and nobody talks, I mean, 
people talk about it, but no one talks enough about the continuity of bringing back not just those five offensive line starters, but your 22 starters from a year ago. You know, when you're trying to keep an offense and and even a a defense in, in, you know, the highest of octane, you know, to have that continuity, everybody's back. Like that doesn't happen in the NFL. It doesn't happen to Super Bowl champions because everybody goes and signs for more money. And that's the Brady effect. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think I think it's an underrated part of their team because they give Tom the time to find the op- the hole in the defense. And he will because he's Tom Brady. Yeah, and that was that was the big thing I think coming into the season with Brady coming to the Bucks. They knew they had to keep him upright to have any kind of chance of you know getting him going. So Tristan Wirfs was right on their list of guys to get. Um, you know, Ali Marpet, he's been phenomenal. He's been one of the cornerstones of this offense. Talk about Ryan Jennings, you know, Donathan Smith. I mean, they're just – like you said, Tom, their their line has been together for a while now, and they're just really playing like an offensive line that that coincides together. And Brian will tell you with Dallas, I mean, their, their line last year, you know, got beat up in injuries and just took them apart, and that's the reason for their demise as well. But, um, you know, before that, their line was cohesive, and Dak had time back there to do what he wants to do. It's going to depend on that offensive line. If it breaks down for any reason, they have some injuries, some couple guys go out of lineup. Brady could be in some trouble. But um, as long as that line's intact, I mean, look out, sky's the limit. He could Tom Brady could explode again this year because he's got all the time in the world back there. That line has been awesome for them. James, I think we pretty much covered all the bases on the offensive yeah. line. I mean, I, I still wish Worfs was our guy and not Thomas, but it is what it is, and Thomas still has time to develop. Hopefully, sure. he does, but. Uh, we do have a question from uh, Marty Joins, actually more of a comment. Uh, Tom has his Andrew Thomas jersey stored for this season. Um, he is one of my breakout candidates for the Giants, not to digress, but um, playing on that ankle injury last season. Hopefully he improves in year two. Uh, had a really good second half of the season. So, But thank you for the comment, Marty. If you have more comments, feel free to drop them in the comment section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can now. Uh, next question. Defensively, Devin White, who, in my opinion, is the best all-around linebacker in the NFL. 140 tackles, nine sacks, and 18 tackles for loss last season. Um, how special is he? And describe the type of leader he is for this Bucks defense. And we'll start with Mike here. Well, and and we do draft shows all the time. And, and this is another guy that I know Brian knows I had on my radar. I, I love Devin White coming out of LSU. Um, you know, fifth pick in a draft in 2019, 4-4-2 speed. Um, it fits well into a 3-4-4-3 system. The, the guy's just a beast. I mean, he turns the corner on a dime. He can blitz from the middle. He gets to the quarterback, you know, very effectively. You can move him around a little bit if you need to. He he just does all facets. And, Tom, I agree. He, I mean, he he's definitely he's going to be up for defensive player of the year again. I mean, he's just that kind of player. He's a high-motor guy who's got a great work ethic. And something the Bucks desperately needed since the the uh, you know the Derrick Brooks days. I mean, I don't want to say he's like Derrick Brooks yet because he's only had a couple years in the league. But I'll tell you what, he keeps playing the way he is. We we're going to talk about him in the next five or six years of, of being Derrick Brooks like because he's. I mean, big interceptions in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, big interceptions in the playoffs. I know he gets the guys fired up. They listen to him. Um, you know, it, it's a great guy to have. I hope he's here for many, many, many more years with the Bucks. 
Brian, anything you want to add on Devin White? I know you yeah. drafted a very similar linebacker yeah. who has that type of potential. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It, it's it, it's the speed on it's the speed in a bunch of ways. You know, if, if you're having him spy your your running back, he can he can get to the line. He can, he can stop the mm-hmm. you know the the uh, you know the forward momentum obviously coming from the running back. You know, he has nine sacks as a, as a linebacker, so. You know, you can you can tell he's he is causing havoc in the backfield, whether it's a quarterback or the running back. And those guys are very, very hard to find, which is why they put, you know, such a high pick into him. I mean, those are the, I'm not a huge linebacker guy generally, because, again, it's a passing lead. But when you have that speed to be able to cause that disruption where if you're getting to the quarterback and you're, you're helping your your pass rush. I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. I mean, you see what outside linebackers get paid now. If you're getting to the quarterback, you are making big money. If you're able to to add to your outside rush with a guy like White, it just makes everybody that much more dangerous because he has no time to go make the throw. We have a comment from Donald Hill in the comments section. Welcome back. Thank you much. Very uh, Thank you very much, Hill, for the comment. Make sure to go check out uh, Three Man Weave. Those guys do awesome stuff with their podcast over there. And Hill, also a Cowboys fan. So good luck to you on Thursday night, Hill. Um, really looking forward to watching that football game. But before I get to James with the next question, I just want to say if I'm starting a football team right now, right, and the first player, let's just say I'm starting like a dynasty and I can't take a quarterback, Devin White's in the discussion as that guy, Mm -hmm. right? Because everyone says, you know, defense wins championships. Mm -hmm. I mean, offense will win you games, but you need a good defense to get to where you are and. That's why the Bucks won it all last year. They had a guy like him. I remember what uh, I think I was driving home and I was listening to the Bucks Saints playoffs game on the radio, and Devin White was all over the place. And the Saints were pretty much losing the game, and then the Bucks just came back and took it, which is, you know, really speaks volumes mm-hmm. as to how good of a player he really is. Yeah, Tom, I don't, I don't want to say the Bucks got lucky, but I mean they really brought Devin White in. And he's that guy that just gets everybody everybody energized and they needed that on defense. I mean, their secondary was, has been awful for a while now. And now, you, you know, you got guys like Antonio Winfield Jr. Back there who looks phenomenal. Um, you know, Jordan Whitehead's coming into his own, um, you know, Sean Mar- Murphy Bunning um, looks really, really good. I mean, for th- this team's really come together in a, in a quick way. It's, it's, it's amazing because for years, you know, as, as a kid growing up with the Bucks all these years, I mean, since I was little, I just prayed that they would be 500. Now it's a new territory for me. Now I'm looking at for to win the division. If they don't, I'm going to be upset. So it's it's a whole different animal for me. But they they've really got everything together at the right time at once. Yep, Tom, thank you for uh, telling me uh, you're probably going to take Devin White sometime tomorrow in one of the drafts. So uh, <laughs> right, we have the, we have the defensive players. You know, yep, <laughs> I'm abandoning that strategy completely. Okay. Devin White stinks. Uh, Don't take him. <laughs> But to the next question, expectations for first-round pick Joe Tryon. Well, Tryon, you know, when they drafted him, I didn't really know that much about him coming out of Washington. Um, I think that the the overall plan for him is to kind of take the place of Pierre Paul because his contract's up next year. So that could be a guy that just slides into that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as for the preseason and, and what I've seen of him, um, I mean, he really, really looks impressive so far. Four four three speed. Um, 34 inch arms. I know he went up in the, in the practice with OJ Howard and OJ Howard, his nickname for him is the beast. So, um, that, that's a good sign. And this kid's, this kid's quick off the corner. He's not a true end. He actually played a lot of middle linebacker at Washington, but they moved him around a lot. So he could technically be an end. So there's a spot on the end for him. If Pierre Paul does go away. And I think they want to get this kid in 
rotated in with Sue and, and Pierre uh, Pierre Paul as much as they can to get him some work. But he looks really impressive so far in the preseason. I got I got to say, I like him a lot too. He was a guy that I was looking for another team to potentially take early on in the yeah. second round. I'm not going to name any names, but um, I think <laughs> this was a pick that kind of flew under the, under the radar. Um, I liked it a lot for Tampa Bay. You have JPP, who is somewhat of an older pass rusher, who still has a lot of game left in him. But to add depth to that is a recipe for championship success. And I think, uh, Brian, I, I think this is a type of team that has the potential to do this again Um because obviously last year, Tampa Bay's defense is kind of what really stepped their game up as the season went along. The offense improved as well, but in particular, that defense really matured in such a quick amount of time. Well, I bring up the continuity again. I mean, you, you can take anybody you want to at 32 because you're bringing everybody back. You're not really drafting necessarily for an immediate need. You know, a lot of teams, like when they go into the draft, they're using that as a spot to, oh, you know, we need, we need depth here, we need depth there. You know, they're able to look – a year or two down the road, so one, one year, you know, for, for Pierre Paul's contract, that's the luxury of bringing everybody back. And you say, you know, can they repeat? Sure they can. That that group just won. That's the same group that just won. So it's very easy to say, could they come back? Yeah. And I think they're going to be better this year than last year. But to the, the point on, on, on Joe Tryon is, is the pick there. They're able to plan years ahead. It, it, it's such a luxury that teams just don't have in, you know, the, the not for long NFL. I mean, it's, kind of remarkable to think about but they're they're able to play like 3d chess like we're, we're good he's got to go great we need that money for something else great we have a kid who's you know making you know rookie money it's 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 a great spot to be in. absolutely absolutely no um were there any surprise cuts on cut down day obviously cut down day is like christmas every single year we're waiting to figure out if guys are going to make this roster or not who's going to make the practice squad mike was there any player that you were disappointed to see not make the Bucks roster that you thought originally would. No, I think um, I think they did a good job of kind of keeping everybody together who they thought was going to be on the team, and then the guys really that were just kind of showcasing for other teams to get picked up in the offseason. You, you know, you, you saw some guys that uh, I didn't see anybody really that I was like, you know, thrown away like, oh my god, like up in up in New York when when um, when uh, Corey Clement was cut, I was. I told Brian I was floored that that happened because they signed the one-year deal and then you, you cut the guy. He must look he must look awful um, for them to get rid of him. But there was really nobody for me that really you know blew me away that that they cut that I was I was really shocked with. If I'm not mistaken, isn't Corey Clement on the Cowboys now? He is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, mean, two days after they cut him too. So Brian, he did have one fumble in the preseason game, but other than that, I mean, he looked pretty solid. Um, you know, like he was supposed to be our Deion Lewis this year, and it's very unfortunate that now that's not going to happen. Well, he falls into your lap. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about surprise cuts. That's a jump the gun. But I think Corey Clement's presence in Dallas caused my surprise cut, which was, you know, the running back Hardy, who if you watch Hard Knocks, you know, was the guy with the rec specs. He was pretty featured. And I thought that he could play like that kind of – given the fact that he, that he was as fast as he was, could easily be a special teams contributor. But – could be that that third running back who plays a different style than the other two. Smaller guy, very like a Sprolzy. Even they said that on the show, where you really can't see him over the offensive lines. We can kind of you know find his way. So I think if Clement had not ended up in Dallas, probably Hardy makes a roster. Actually, ended up on the practice squad. Uh, so he would be my my surprise cut. But listen, Corey Clement comes with a Super Bowl ring. So you know, anytime you can add you know that kind of veteran leadership to a group, you you, you bring him in. 
Um, I, I was surprised, frankly, that, that, that the Giants cut him, but that's okay. They add to the roster. Not to mention he was the leading receiver in that Super Bowl as well against right. the Patriots. Little yeah. fun fact. Comment from Mateo. Brian Atard, love the hat. Thank you for the comment. Yeah, he's, he, he's a frequent contributor outside the box. So I always, you know, he's a big cow, he's a good cowboy fan. Awesome. Appreciate it, Mateo. Uh, keep the comments coming, folks. We have a lot more coming up on the Bucks and the Cowboys. Uh, James. So players to watch. We just you just told us about Joe Tryon. Um, you look at Kyle Trask, looked much better in the last preseason game. Who else do you think would be a player? or players to watch this season? Well, I, I want to get back to the guy you just said, but first I'll tell you about uh, K.J. Britt, uh, the linebacker out of Auburn. I think he's a guy that you you could look for. I mean, this this team really loaded up on linebacker depth that um, I think is is vital because, you know, you, you talk about um, uh, Levante David, um, Sha- Sha- uh, Shaq Barrett, um, guys like that. You know, you never know injuries could happen or things could get moved. They can get moved or whatever the case may be. I know he's on contracts, but who knows? Uh, they just got, you know, he Britt's a guy they can rotate in if they need to. Um, high motor guy again, just like Devin White. Not a, not his skill set as him, but he could be a guy in the future that uh, that you see playing or even playing with somebody else. Um, but when you talk about Kyle Trask, I mean, I, I pat myself on the back. Two years ago, I talked about Josh Allen coming to the league. I think he was going to be the best quarterback in that draft. Coming out of Wyoming, throws the ball around a lot. Uh, last year was going to be Herbert. Uh, you know, get, once he gets a shot coming out of Oregon. Um, you know, throwing the ball around as well. Last year, I told Brian, I'm going a little bit off the grid. I said, I'm going to say Kyle Trask is going to be the guy. I don't think he's going to start right away, but he's going to be a project. I said, he's a smart kid, threw Josh Pitts a ton, had, had a couple other wide receivers that, you know, he didn't have in the bowl game. So he didn't look as, in as particular as he did during the season. But here's a kid who now learns from in his home state behind the best in the business for another two to three years and can step into an offense that is going to have Mike Evans, Godwin, you know, a lot of these weapons for him to use, it's, it's it's a perfect setup for him. I think Trask is going to be a great backup quarterback to step right in behind Brady. Yeah, and then to piggyback off that, we had a draft show on our channel like you guys. Um, well, it was – I think it was my buddy's draft show on the Brew Party, and one of our guests was saying that he is a Bucks fan as well. Whoever gets Trask tomorrow – has a potential real sleeper in this draft, potentially steal of day two. And it happens to be a Bucks fan saying that maybe he had some mystery little globe or <laughs> crystal ball that we're not aware of, but that was an awesome take there by Brian McArdle of well, the stands. Again, the luxury of having a full roster, you can do things yeah. like that. You know, you, yeah. you know, should he been a second round pick? Maybe, maybe not, but you can do that when you're not looking to fill an immediate need. Yeah. You can beat somebody to the punch and not care that you're maybe overdrafting by a round. Yeah, Tom and James, I've never been so excited to have a second round pick in my life. It was just <laughs> when they when they got him, I was I was I called Brian. I was like, oh my God, they did not just get Trask. Yeah. And I was just he's like, Why are you excited over a backup quarterback? Said, a, I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, there's a Donald Duck meme that pretty much encompasses <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Even if he sits for two or three years, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, absolutely. like Brady mentioned he wants to play into his late forties. He's forty four, so yeah. If he wants to play until his late sixties, he's pretty much right. give him care. a walker, get him out there. That's fine. I have no problem with that now. I have no problem. With that. Brian, there's a question for you from Mateo about Zach mm-hmm. Martin. If uh, actually, I didn't know about this. So two negative tests, he can still play. I don't. I don't. I 
I don't know the actual rules on the, on the protocol. My understanding is he, he tested positive for it. So it wasn't like a contact trace or anything like that. I think he's out for the game. They might be too, there might not be enough time before now to the game. Yeah, I, mean, this, if, if this game was Sunday, I mean, maybe, maybe, but I think we're all learning what the protocols are going to be this year. I'm not familiar with them specifically. Yeah. My understanding is nobody said like, you know, he's out. Like it's not, right. you know, he's out for the game. Brady had some comments on that as well. So that that's kind of interesting that he, he brought that up. Um, so um, Mike, at this time, I want your record prediction for Tampa Bay. Uh, the Bucks have not won the NFC South since 2007. Uh, that was the year they were the four seed behind Jeff Garcia at QB. Where do you see the Bucks landing this year? If you could predict their record and then give us your team MVP for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, I'm not the kind of guy I might love to say they're going to win 14 games. I don't know if they, if they can, that's, that's kind of a tall order for them. I know there's 14 and three sounds like a, I mean, they got the whole gang back together again. What they did last year in their run, they have everybody back. There's not one guy that's missing from that lineup. So that's, that's, that's all for them. I'm going to be a little bit conservative. I'm going to say 12 and five for this team, but it's still going to get them the division. I don't think there's really anybody in this division that can challenge them. I mean, you want to say the Saints? I don't think I've seen Jameis before. I don't think he can do it, um, especially with his forcing interceptions and things to that effect. I, I don't see New Orleans really catching the Bucks at all, and I don't think Atlanta can stop anybody still. So um, I, I'll say twelve and five for the Bucks. I think they they win the uh, they win the uh, the South, obviously. And um, for MVP, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Brady again. I mean, I think he's the cog that makes this 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 move. I mean, they brought him in last year, and it's amazing when you plug a quarterback into this team how everything else falls in line. They got the winning attitude. I mean, I know after the Super Bowl, Mike Evans said, whatever it is, I'll cut my salary in half if everybody, anybody needs extra money to, to make this thing work. So they they want this to work now. They're not worried about everything else in the way of money, years and all. They want this to work, so they'll do whatever it takes. So I'll, I'll say Brady's MVP again. Awesome. Brian, where's your head at with this uh, Tampa Bay Bucks team? It, it's their division to lose. Um, I think it actually got easier for them with Drew Brees hanging it up. Um, I don't think they need to win the division to win the Super Bowl. They didn't last year, uh, but it, all roads lead through Tampa. I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they had the number one seed in the conference when they get the bye. And I think, I think for a veteran team like that, actually might be a little more important for them because you know they get that rest. Like last year, they didn't have that week off in between games because they were in the wild card round against Washington. So um, I, I don't see any reason why that. They're the prohibitive favorite to win the division. They probably should be also to win the conference. I mean, I think they're absolutely, you know, in, in the top two or three teams to do that. So, I mean, it's to, to, to me, this season is very much, you know, I, I, I'm a Yankee fan. I think I always joke around that like Green Day wrote a song about the Yankees called Wake Me Up When September Ends. That's Yankee baseball. Honestly, the regular season means nothing to Tampa Bay. Nothing. They just won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, get to the playoffs and let it happen from there. I don't think anybody cares what they do in the regular season. I find that really interesting because uh, just the way the Bucks have gone about their roster the, this offseason kind of makes me think that they are the favorites again. And outside of maybe the L.A. Rams and the Green Bay Packers, I don't see any team contesting with the Bucks for the NFC title. I think those are the two teams that you can look at and say they have a viable shot at mm-hmm. this time. If there's one super dark horse Maybe you could throw in San Francisco. I mean, they're bringing back uh, a, a lot of good players. You know, they had a down year last year with all the injuries. You could make an argument for them, but I don't think that's a viable team. 
at the moment. Um, but yeah, overall, I think the Bucks. I think they're going to win around 13 games. I, yeah. I don't think they're going to go 14. I don't think any, I don't know if anyone's going to win 14. Maybe one team does at most. I think it's going to be an interesting year in the NFL where I don't see a 15 and one Chiefs team repeating that feat again. Like I don't see them winning 15 games this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And we do have a comment from Hill saying the timetable wouldn't add up for Zach Martin being able, able to return by Thursday, which is yeah, I, think, I, I can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's a huge loss, which I'll talk about, but it, it, it is a massive loss. Hank says, how's it going? Thank you very much, Hank. Uh, we're going to be having our first Big Blue Avenue show of the season live on Thursday at 7 p.m. Hank and Dictor, Sam Cardona, and myself talking all things New York Giants with our special guest all the way from Idaho, Ross Allen from 4th and Long Radio. So we're going to be talking to him about that game. Folks, make sure to go check us out on Thursday. Brian? We're going to move on to your Dallas Cowboys now. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered all the points on Tampa Bay for now. Um, James, I'll let you crack the first question here. I think you know where your head's at with this. Okay, I'll go first. Would Dak Prescott be able to return to his original form? Um, Considering he went out week one, I believe, or week two with that Pretty five, gruesome injury. Five, week five, right? Week yeah. five. It felt early on, but week five. But yes, uh, you know, listen, that is a massive injury he's coming off of. Um, you know, and then he strained the shoulder in preseason. He didn't. He didn't really have. You know, he hasn't played really anything since since that injury. You know, and I've been a very vocal critic of Dak. I keep saying that you know they they him he for all the gaudy numbers they've not done anything and i think go back to last year and you say like you know we'll look at the numbers he's put up well yeah your defense was garbage and put you in a situation to do that and i and to be fair to him i mean i i don't think you can it wouldn't surprise me if he struggles out of the gate just because he hasn't played football like yeah i'll be a critic when when the time is right to do so i really can't criticize anything he does this year it's very much this could be a, and this is, I think, the cloud that hangs over the team this year. And he's very, very important to whatever plans they, you know, intentions that they have of doing anything. Is it may take him time to get back to himself. The quicker he does, the better it is for everybody. That's not rocket science. But if he struggles, you kind of can't blame him for that because he's coming off the injuries coming off of. And he, everybody says, you know, he looks great. Okay. Well, he hasn't played actual football. So, Let's see it first. Um, I mean, they go nowhere without him. So he he absolutely needs to be himself if they intend to do anything. Um, but again, I just listen. That that's a huge injury. I mean, I, I I think I think it's it's very bullish to think he comes back and is himself at eight fifteen on Thursday night. I think it's a lot to ask, especially yeah. with Zach Martin being out. I know. Yeah. I think both tackles were technically listed as questionable, but I think they're both going to play. Um, I know Bayadas is your new center at the moment. So, but Mike, I kind of want your take from Tampa Bay defensively. What type of Dak Prescott do you expect to see out there under center? Um, well, like Brian said, he hasn't really played a lot in the preseason. So I expect a, a rusty Dak if he's out there. But um, I'm a fan of Dak Prescott. I think he's good for that Dallas system. I mean, I think he was kind of thrown into a system where he was supposed to be back up to Romo for a little while. And, Romo left and they kind of left Dak holding the bag like, okay, now you're our starter. Let's, let's see what you can do. And he wasn't drafted to be their guy. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't drafted in to be 
the next coming and everything like that. He was just thrown in a position. He had to start learning. So, you know, with a guy like Zeke there and, and with his receivers, with Cooper and things like that, I think he can be a good quarterback. It's just a matter of if he can come back from this injury um, that was a, a devastating injury last year that he had. Uh, but I definitely going to see some rust on him. And uh, I think the Bucks got to really attack him early and keep him in the pocket and contain him. And um, I think that's only going to go, you know, be trouble for Dak moving forward if they can do that early with him. And coming from a Giants fan, too, I would like to see Dak start all 16 games this year. I think that would be awesome because obviously, you know, as a fan of another team, you want to win the division when everyone's at their best. You don't want to see guys go down uh, in general. So I think that's really important for Dak's health. Uh, to have a solidified offensive line, and it doesn't look like they're going to have that in full tact on Thursday evening. Um, Brian, Ezekiel Elliott enters year number six. I, I know how you feel about paying running backs. That's no shocker to anybody. Um, five fumbles last year, lost four of them. What's one key for him, though, to have a bounce-back season? I think he has a closer mentality. He can't look back at last year. You know, last year was just such a cluster all around for the team. So you want to attribute his problems to everything else going on? Fine. It was a bad year for the world. It, it is what it is. But he needs to have a bounce back season because he's being paid to be a top two running back in the NFL. And I don't think he's been a top two running back in the NFL. He sure as hell wasn't last year. And I think if he doesn't start to be the guy he's paid to be, he's not going to be paid to be that guy. And they will look for ways to get out of that contract when – you know, the terms become a little bit more palatable to do so. Um, but that I guess that's that's the issue is, you know, he's being paid very handsomely. And as we found out, you know, if he doesn't have the lead offensive line, he's very pedestrian. There were times last year where Tony Pollard looked like the better running back and not by a little bit. So, you know, it's one of those things where, again, if, if you are a product of your offensive line, then why are you paid the way that you are? What is the benefit you bring or the marginal benefit you bring over somebody else? And is that worth the money? Probably not. He needs to prove that he's the reason his numbers are gaudy or were gaudy, not because of an elite offensive line creating the situations and being on an elite offense that is able to open up the field for him. And I think that, you know, as, as a competitor, he knows what people are, are, are saying about him. He knows that, you know, yeah, he signed this big deal, but you know, towards the the last half of it was never this wonderful guarantee. So, if he intends to see that money, he needs to, you know, put the numbers up to support it. And I think they're going to give him every opportunity to do that. You know, it's one thing about Jerry Jones is when he makes that kind of an investment, he wants it to look good. He doesn't want to appear to have made a bad investment. So, I feel as though to a fault they're going to run him more. And on top of that, if you really think about it, if you're trying to get Dak back into the swing of things, the best thing you can do is get a solid running game going. I mean, just so you can spread that defense out a little bit and have them account for him. So, you know, I think you're going to see him out of the gate fed, pardon the pun, a lot. <laughs> and, and we'll see where, where they go with it. But having said that, having Zach Martin off the offensive line is a massive issue. Again, are we, you're going, we need to see him be the Zeke that he was his first couple of years in the league and not anything like what he was last year. But again, last year was all kinds of screwed up. So let's, let's just chalk it up to that. Well, going from running back. Now we're going to wide receiver. This is to both of you guys who leads the Cowboys in touchdown catches this year. I think it's CD. I think it's CD lamb. 
I think it's CD Lamb for a number of reasons. Number one, like I said, Jerry Jones likes to show that his investments work out well. They put a high pick into this player when wide receiver really wasn't a need at the time. So I think they're going to want to, to, to do that. Secondly, Michael Gallup has no contract after this season. So, look, it's a business at the end of the day, right? Do you think maybe they don't, um, you know, feature him as much? I don't know. You never know with these sorts of things. But, again, Amari Cooper is in a similar situation. I think the way the Cowboys will feed Zeke is the way they're going to really look for Lamb all over the field and try to really maximize him as much as they can. So I think they look for him a lot. Um, They don't really have that – upper echelon tight end that's like that big body big target type guy in the red zone so again i i just think lamb ends up being the aerial focal point of the offense rather quickly mike who do you think leads his team in touchdown catches you know i I like gallup this year because he's in a contract year. usually guys that that have contract years blow up and just play their butt off because they want to get out of town and everything. But I, I agree with Brian. I think CeeDee Lamb is, is, a, is a creature out there. He just – he catches everything thrown to him. He's going to make Dak look really, really good back there. And I, I think he's going to be a big asset in them moving forward this year. Last year as a rookie, I mean, he had a good year near the end of the year. He really started to pick up some steam. And I think this year is only going to be more for him um, in a way of touchdowns and everything like that. So, yeah, I'll say CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um I think he's the guy. Dalton Schultz, surprisingly, had a few last year. I think he was close to the team leader. I think there was a three-way tie for five touchdowns somewhere along that line. But, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Now, defensively, the Cowboys drafted a ton of defensive players, and they brought in Dan Quinn, who's a defensive guru. What type of philosophy, Brian, does he bring to the table coming over from the Atlanta Falcons? Because he brought over a couple of players with him. He did. He did. Now, he, he's more of a defensive line guy. So he uses a guy like Joe Witt, for example, um, you know, to, to be kind of a secondary guy. So between the two of them, they're going to be really more more of a simple form of coverage versus the, you know, the complex schemes that Mike Nolan tried to run last year. And, you know, we're not really going to know because last year is over now. But, you know, it it felt like he was trying to implement these really advanced concepts and disguises to coverage. And when you think about the way training camp was, I mean, everything was virtual. I mean, everything was just, you're trying to do way too much. And the defense looked horrible off the jump. And you're like, well, how are we, how is it so bad when the majority of the team is the same as it was last year? Yeah. You lost a couple of guys. I'm not saying you did it, but you didn't lose enough guys to make it look this bad. So I don't, I I think it's going to be more of like a a simpler approach to things. Um, he likes to run a cover three, which, you know, the free safety, the corners drop into coverage, strong safety comes up, plays zone with the linebackers. Like Keanu Neal, as you mentioned, Tom, guys he brought in is a great example of that. Like he's, he's going to come up and really su- su- support, you know, the, the, the front there. Um, but he's also very flexible in that. If you guys remember Chris Richard, they also ran that cover three when he was there in 2019, but they ran it over 50% of the time. Whereas Quinn's a much, I mean, he, he, he'll adapt to what the offense is trying to do. Whereas I think Rashard was more stringent in staying where it, what he was, his bread and butter, which was the cover three. Um, t- to me, I'm expecting the defense to be markedly improved simply due to the coaching because you're, and that's not even me saying I love Dan Quinn. It's me thinking Mike Nolan was a complete abomination in that you're not trying to install, you know, 
a, a, a college, an elite level a, AP calculus type of defense in an offseason where nobody could do on the field. And I think that that was probably his downfall. So, you know, if, if Quinn can get them somewhere near average, I think the team really, you know, takes off. And I, and I do expect them to be a lot better defensively just because Mike Nolan's not calling the shots. And again, that's not necessarily a, like a thumbs up to Dan Quinn, but it's he's not Mike Nolan. So thumbs up to Dan Quinn. <laughs> So, my next question: expectations for Michu- Michael Mike Michael Parsons. Ju- Michael Parsons. Look, you know they, they put a high pick into the kid. Um, you know Sean Lee is no longer there. Uh, the talk uh, Jalen Smith was talking about that they may even look to move on from him. They didn't pick up Van Der Esch's fifth year. So, despite the fact that they put a lot of resources in the linebacker, it's very much in flux. And I think that they're expecting Parsons to come in in year one and be the guy at linebacker, like make them make a decision on Smith and Van Der Esch at the end of the year, like, like become the guy that we thought they were going to be so that we can let one of both of them walk. And also drafted Jabril Cox, who was a a guy who fell to the fourth round at LSU. So, you know, I feel as though the expectations are through the roof for him. Just totally just a freak uh, athlete. Um, He wasn't the guy I thought they would get, not that I didn't like the pick. It's just because I just saw no way they weren't getting one of the two corners with JC Horner and Patrick Sertan. So when that's the direction that they went, I was just kind of surprised. I mean, not that they had a choice. They, they were gone at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, he, look, you, I mean, you can see the athleticism. I mean, he, you mentioned the, the parallels to Devin, to, to the guy from Tampa Bay. Um, speeds there. You know, he, he will be a weapon for them. And I hope that, again, he shows out enough that we get to this point, you know, X amount of months from now, they decide to, to let one of these other guys walk. They may not be worth worth the investment because you put the draft pick into Michael Parsons. Probably the best defensive player in the draft, too. Um, now, I looked at the Cowboys' depth chart today, and correct me if I'm wrong, I saw Jalen Smith on the second unit. That, that, that didn't really right. make yeah. sense to me. Did he have a bad preseason or what's no, the, I mean, he's, so I mean, he's the last I saw, he was, he was the middle linebacker um, to start, you know, Micah was on, was on the strong side, Van Der Esch on week. Um, he, again, you know, he's not become who they thought they were getting, even with that second round pick coming off the injury. And I, and I go back to that draft year a lot, Mike, you know, this, they could have gone with, with, uh, Jalen Ramsey at four and Derek Henry in the second round. you're probably in a better position if you do that. And by probably, I mean you are. Um, I, again, I, the, both both Van Der Esch and Smith have not really been, at least, I mean, Van Der Esch has the injury problem. Smith just hasn't really played overly well. Um, that, and again, Keanu Neal may play a little bit of, the, of that role too. I really want to see Jabril Cox. But um, yeah, I, I like I said, the, I think they're expecting Parsons to be like legit this week. Like I don't think they're even like thinking in the future. Like he, they think he's a player now. Mike, are you sold on this defense? Because this defense last year was towards rock bottom in the NFL, and a lot of people are very high on the Cowboys this year. But I haven't seen enough of a convincing improvement yet. Now, I understand it's just preseason. We really don't know until the team is has been out there for a few weeks building chemistry. But where do you stand with this defense? I mean, like you said, they brought guys over from Atlanta. I mean, uh, they brought over Demonte uh, Kazi to to play free safety. I think that'll he'll be he'll be pretty good back there. I, I'm just not a big fan of Dan Quinn. Um, I know he was in Atlanta for a long time, and you know how good Atlanta's defense got. He 
All he did was make the offense better and better with some picks that he had with Ridley and things like that because their defense couldn't stop anybody. I mean, for years, that was Atlanta's problem. They could not get the defense right and did not stop anybody. So, I mean, listen, the Dallas defense was good last year. They came on a little bit near the end last year. I think Micah Parsons is going to be a beast back there. He's going to be like a Devin White in the way of running all over the place, tackling everybody. Um, and I, I mainly think they did that, too, to to, to counteract Devin, uh, Deontay Smith with the Eagles. Um, I mean, and, and Brian will talk about it, too. The C.D. Lamb pick was to, to kind of counteract that as well because the Eagles were probably going to try to get C.D. Lamb, so they took him. Um, the Eagles aren't that bright. Defense will be, like you said, the team will be improved. Um, I, I'm not sweating them as, as a Bucks fan. I mean, I think the, the Bucks can still move the ball on them. But, uh, yeah, they'll be, they'll be better than they were last year. Actually, I'm, I breaking, I'm going to quick, quick break some news. Ravens and Mark Andrews agree to a $14 million a year deal over four years. Four, nice. 14 times four, which is he'll make the most money at tight end of, the, of anybody in the league. For, for this year. <laughs> so Six million over four years. That's, per, that's pretty interesting. So he sets the bar now for tight ends. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's not even like the best one, I think, right? Top three are probably Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. Yep. Yeah, right. Right. Andrews, is be up next, I think. Andrews are, I mean, I think Hawkinson has made a, a convincing argument to be in the top five discussion, but I think Andrews probably number four. So that's that's pretty interesting. They look for uh, him. So. My next question: The Cowboys, I feel, are banking on Trayvon Diggs to be a CB one, right? A lot of people are trusting mm-hmm. this guy. He played at Alabama. <laughs> he able to step up in year two and be that guy? I think it's asking a lot. I think the talent is there. So I'm not going to say like, this is like an elite corner in the league right now. He has the, ta- he has the pedigree and talent to be, I mean, remember the year that he was drafted, there were some who thought he might be the Cowboys pick in the first round. So to get him where they got him was fantastic. Um, again, I- I'm bullish on the player. I also don't want to put these massive expectations on the guy and say, Hey, we need you to be an elite corner. Like right now, like, you know, you're not Jair Alexander. You're not in that this, you're not in that discussion right now. Could he be eventually? Yeah. But I think that I, I wouldn't count on him to be that, that true number one just yet. And could that hold the team back? Maybe, but I like the player. I like his future. They address the defense a lot in the draft as well. Um, but he, he will be, I mean, he'll be considered, the corn, the number one on the team. I don't know if he's, re- he's number one for Dallas. I know that makes him a number one, you know, by title. Right. I feel like our CB two with Dory Jackson would automatically be your CB one. Um, that, that, I mean, that, that's the way I feel. Well, I mean, he is coming from Tennessee's pass defense, which was God awful last year. So who knows? This is also very true. I, <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean we, we were talking about the Titans recently and we're like, you know, they lost, but they're starting corners, but they were also God awful in pass coverage last year. So it doesn't really matter. Mm. This is true. I felt like he was hurt last year, though. I don't know how many games yeah. he played. He only played, I want to say it was, yeah, he only played in three games last year. Well, there you go. That's probably the reason why. That's fair. Their pass defense was so awful. But um, Mike McCarthy is a head coach who's been around the block a few times. Um, had a lot of success in Green Bay, and then things started to crumble for him. What does he need to improve on most heading into year number two? We'll start with Brian and then go over to Mike. To me, it's it's really hard to say. Like, I understand why he was the higher, but at the same time, you know, last year was such a disaster 
you lost your quarterback in, in, in week five. You didn't really have a training camp to install anything you wanted to truly install by the ways you normally do so. Defense was a total wreck. Offensive line was a total wreck. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't know that I've even seen what you can do. I mean, first off, I think I'll give him credit in that he recognized or he was forced to recognize that Mike Nolan was a disaster hire. He did the right thing either by will or by force in making the change, uh, you know, to Dan Quinn. But I just think it's really hard to gauge much from last year because of everything that happened and not just on the football field. Again, COVID, everything else in the world, it was just a weird year for everyone. Multiply that by every other team in the division. Well, actually, no, not every, they, they had new head coaches too. I think the Eagles were the only one that did not. But I'm, I just want to, I want to see what he does here with a full camp because I just don't think it's fair to judge a guy one year in, in the scenario he was left in. Now, would I have been surprised if he was fired? No, it's Jerry Jones. But I, I think I, I would like to see more before I make a, a, a judgment call. I don't think it'd be fair. Mike, what's your opinion on McCarthy? Do you think he's the guy to resolve a lot of these missing pieces? I mean, I think he is, but I'll, I'll lay a Bucks analogy on you. I think it's kind of like a Greg Schiano analogy when Schiano came in from Rutgers and, you know, he came in with a little bit of swagger, a little bit of, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing this. Well, you are winning. And he, when he wasn't winning, that's when he lost the team. And I think that's the same thing with McCarthy. The first year, I know it was COVID year and this and that, but you know, they didn't they were they didn't live up to expectations. I know they had injuries and I know they had this and that, but guys in the locker room see that. And if if a guy's not winning with his stuff and some of the stuff going on, you know, it's not working. I mean, look at the look at the Atlanta game. If Atlanta actually knows how to field an onside kick, I mean they they win that game. So um I know I think he can get it together. I just think it's going to be it's going to take some winning and some belief in this team that McCarthy is the guy that that you know that can do this. But yeah, I definitely think he can do it. James, uh, what's your next question? My next question: Any surprise cuts? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, Jaquan Hardy, because like I said, I, I felt that he could play that Darren Sproles type role. Maybe it does, and he, he did get to the practice squad. But I thought, you know, maybe if they don't bring in Corey Clement, maybe he's that third. Um, you know, running back or at least gets it out of camp. So I, I, I think there might be something there. Obviously not right now because he's not, not on the actual active roster. But uh, you know, if Corey Clement doesn't doesn't work out, don't be surprised to see him later in the year. I'd, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to see what he can do in, in an actual game. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. me, I was a little surprised about Darian Thompson only because he used to play for the Giants. I don't know, like, if he's done anything with the Cowboys. I remember seeing him out there last year. Um, I don't know if you retained him on the practice squad or not, but I know he's a guy that the Giants highly valued um, when we drafted him, and now he's not even on a team. So I find that kind of uh, funny in a, in a tongue-in-cheek <laughs> type of way. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that that's my pick for the Cowboys. But um, any player that flies under the radar? I know Jabril Cox is probably one that a lot of people are thinking, but is there anybody else, Brian, that kind of is like, wow, like Giants – Cowboys and Washington, uh, Eagles and Washington fans better look out for this kid this year. Listen, I, I think Malik Hooker, I don't know why there's so much hate for this player around the league. I mean, he's 15th overall pick and 17 out of Ohio State. He's only 25 years old. To be drafted or he was drafted, the pedigree is there. And the Cowboys have had, you know, a hole at safety for a number of years. I would, I really want to see what this kid's going to be able to do because I think that, you know, he had an injury last year. We only played a couple of games for the Colts, but, you know, he, he was part of a very good secondary there. So I think it's, pick him up off the trash heap, you know, towards the end there. But look, the talent's there. It's, it's you know, can, can 
the best be coached out of him. And I, and I hope that it can be, I hope he's a good fit for this system. Um, but I mean, obviously this isn't really under the radar player, but somebody to watch is CD lamb, because like I said, they need him to be the guy that they drafted because there's a lot of uncertainty in the other two starting receiving spots gap with no deal. Amari might be on the outs, depending on, on how things look just financially. So, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's shown in camp why, people were shocked he fell in the draft. And you mentioned the Eagles. No, the Eagles didn't go up and get him. And thankfully, they like to blow off and wide receiver picks. They probably did again with Devontae Smith because, you know, gets hit over by a stiff win. But um, those are my two guys. Like I said, I, I think Lamb is, is, is the star of the offense, and I really would like to see what Hooker does defensively. Mike, is there anybody for you? I think Malik Hooker's a really good pick because he's the start for the Colts. So I'm going to kind of be in alignment there with Brian. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't, isn't it funny how – you know, a while ago, we or not even a while ago, not too long in the, in the past that we uh, saw Dallas give up a first-round pick for Monty Cooper, and now he's on his outs. So I know he hasn't turned into the player that he wanted to be, but kind of overpaid for him too as well and, and, and took a chance on him as well. But um, I think C.D. Lamb, like Brian said, has to be the guy this year um, for them. But, um, you know, the, I got to watch out for in the division. I'll tell you what, on the defensive side of the ball is Chase Young. I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. I mean, you, you talk about his motor last year at the end of the year and the last – four games he was he was everywhere and just caused havoc with quarterbacks i think it's even going to be worse this year he's got the hang of this now he knows how that swim move works and now that they don't have kerrigan there he's going to be the main guy there now so i think he's going to be a guy to just look out for when you play him uh, on the other side of the ball caden smith's overtime touchdown against washington in 2019 <laughs> gave them that chase young pick so uh good good, good job giants with that one uh, that would have been seven to nine instead of six and ten um, so predicting the NFC East right now, all four of us, the Cowboys last NFC East title was in 2018. Um, first let's predict this division. Um, I'm going to go first. And I, I think I just want to briefly say that obviously as the Homer, I do have the giants winning the division this year. Uh, it's the first time I felt optimistic about this team in the past five to six years. Um, I think they're going to squeak it out. I think the Cowboys for me, and this is how I measure that stat, right? I think Washington can't skate by with quarterback issues again this season. They're pretty much their whole team is complete except for the QB position and maybe one or two positions on the line that could be upgraded. But for me, it's who got better, right? The Giants offense or the Cowboys defense and the Giants brought in players like Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph, Saquon is back if he's healthy. There's a lot of if, ands, or buts, but I think the Cowboys are going to finish in second around that 9-8, and 10-7 and seven record. That's where I have them falling right now. I mentioned this earlier. You know, if, if Dan Quinn can get the defense to, like, somewhere in the vicinity of average compared to how bad it was last year. And the offense proves that those big gains that they had, both in terms of yards and points, were not just the result of the defense being trash, so you have to throw a lot more. So therefore, obviously, your your aerial numbers are, are, are gaudy. I honestly think the Cowboys are the only team in the division to be able to get to double-digit wins. So 
I think it is their division to lose. Having said that, it's been their division to lose many times in my life, and they have lost it. So that doesn't really, <laughs> you know, none of that's going to surprise me. Nothing surprises me with the Cowboys. I mean, it's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, I, I agree with with you, Tom. Like, I, I do think the Giants will be improved from last year, but I don't know if the record's going to show it. I thought they overachieved a bit last year, and I like a lot of what Joe Judge has done, and there is absolutely reason for optimism if you're a Giants fan. I don't. I think they maybe won a couple games this year. They maybe should have lost. Um, so I think that you know they'll be a better team. They might just not see a huge jump up in wins to show for it. Um, I don't think. And I, I you mentioned Fitzpatrick. I, I don't think he's any sort of an answer for Washington. Their defense is going to be absolutely fantastic. But I can't assume that offense gets it done, even though they added playmakers around it. It's still Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just I just feel good about that. Um, and I think the Eagles, frankly, are two to three years away from being two to three years away. I'm not a I'm not a Hurts fan. I, I I don't think a team with holes all over the roster should be drafting wide receivers in the top ten. Um, it's a bottom five roster and the offensive line is old and getting older. I, I, I don't see a whole lot to be like super excited about if I'm them, they can say whatever they want to, but they're a ways away and to, to the, they're better off losing every game. And I think their fans deep down kind of know that. So I think the Cowboys should win the division. Having said that, that means absolutely nothing. Cause they should do a lot of things they don't do. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, who do you have? And NFC East or NFC least, I should say. I'm going to say I, I like the Cowboys. Well, I like the Cowboys. I like the Giants to, to compete with them this year. And when, when push comes to shove, I think I'm going to just barely, barely by the skin of my teeth go with the Cowboys. I think it, they end up 11 and six. I think the, the Giants end up 10 and 10 and seven. Uh, and that could go either way. I mean, I think that if Dallas, you know, takes takes a little bit of a stumble during the year, the Giants are going to be right there with them to, to capitalize on and possibly take the division. Um, I'm with Brian. I think Fitzpatrick's not that big of an upgrade for. Washington. I mean, he is getting up there. It's Fitzmagic, but I don't know if it's Fitzmagic again. It's like his ninth team. So, I mean, their defense is going to be great. But And the Eagles, he's spot on as well. We've, we've been like this all year with the Eagles. I mean, you're drafting a wide receiver and you got so many other needs. That offensive line is falling apart. Um, you, you got, and, and the, you know, Hurts, you, you took a, took him, you know, when you took him and he's ranked right now as the 31st run, uh, quarterback in the league. Um, it's going to be a rough year, a rough sledding for the Eagles. I mean, I don't see them I don't even see them getting third in the division. I think it's going to be that rough for them. So um, I'll say the Cowboys win a division at 11 and six. And I say the, uh, the giants are right there on their heels at 10 and seven. James. Well, there's only three true teams in this division. Cowboys, giants, and Washington. Yep. Can we all just agree the Eagles shouldn't, should be in their own league of their own trying to figure stuff out down in Philly. I mean, I think all of us understand that opinion. Um, Washington, we're luck. Tom, we're lucky that uh, our closet closet fan Kyle Russo is, is in love with Washington. So he would say Washington's coming up. Washington, I think they'll have their moments throughout the season. Like they'll string wins together and make it interesting for their fans, make it interesting for the league but they won't go anywhere. Um, it will come down to the last probably two to three weeks of Giants, Cowboys, figuring out who's going to win it. They're both improved. Mike McCarthy gets a second year full um, preseason under him. You got Dak back. You look at the Giants. You got 
Barkley back, somewhat of an improved offensive line, uh, some new wide receivers. So it's going to be a battle all the way through. I don't see them figuring it out to at least the last two weeks of the season. I think it's going to be that close, bouncing back between who's losing, who's winning, and then division wins and losses. All right, but I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. You got to pick somebody here. Who is it? The Giants. Okay. I thought that was pretty clear. That I mean, <laughs> listen, Tom, you and I talk about this probably a bunch of times just about the Giants. I mean, th- this is Danny Dimes' year. Like, they've taken out yeah. every reason why you can't be successful. So, if you're not successful, given the fact that running backs have very short careers, they need to know if he's their guy in 2022. And if this gets, this goes off the rails, he will not be their guy in 2022 because they can't afford to wait to find out. See, I'm going to, I'm going to step in for a second. Cause I think last year is kind of a weird year for him. I mean, I know you're saying you're moving the needle forward with him and trying to get him in the right direction, but the guy lost the top four running back last year in the league. The guy lost Shepard last year. He lost weapons as a wide receivers. So putting a lot of pressure on him. I know he's been in the league now, you know, three years or two years or, whatever it may be, but I, I kind of like Danny Dimes. I think he's the guy that the Giants look to to be that next guy. I just don't know if you can really pin this year on him saying that he has to do it this year or he's out because last year it was a struggle for him, and I think he, he panned out okay for what he had to deal with last year. I'm going to side more with Mike on that argument only because I saw what he brought in the second half of the season. And I understand last year, every team was dealing with injuries. Every team was dealing with COVID. But, I mean, the Giants lost two offensive linemen who were playing with injuries all year. And we were starting three rookies. And I think the continuity will help that line in front of Jones in year number three. The con- And, you know, it's, we, we traded for Ben Bredesen, who will probably be starting on the line for us at some point. But uh, that's where I lie. I do think that if Daniel Jones throws 20 plus interceptions, then you, you have to replace him. That means he's not, you know, fulfilling his job. But yeah, that's, I think that's a fair argument for sure. But uh, moving on to our, our last four or five minutes or so, let's predict this game. We've talked about the Cowboys in full and predicted where they'll finish in the NFC East. We've talked about Mike's Tampa Bay Buccaneers and where they'll finish in the NFC South at this time. Let's get to this, guys. So first thing I want to say is, you know, congratulations on being the first game of the season. Obviously, the team that wins Super Bowl and America's team gets the first game on Thursday night football. Um, <laughs> Thank God. You. I'm so happy we get to play the <laughs> I can't, I've never been happier, actually. <laughs> so I want the two of you to butt heads for just a second. Um, obviously, Zach Collins is out. He's on the COVID-19 list. I know Jordan Whitehead is questionable, Mike. I don't know what his status is in the secondary. Has he practiced this week at all? No, he hasn't practiced, but I think it's kind of they're they're resting him as well. I, I hear he's going to play um, from the the stuff that I've read online. He is going to play, but they're just kind of holding him out in hopes that he gets a little bit ready. And they may they may even go game time decision. I mean, if if they go game time decision and he can't play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who they put back there in his place. So probably Charlton Davis, maybe they might, they might put him back there. Is there any possible way for the Cowboys to skid this game out at all? Like, is, is there a way? Because my problem is this, we mentioned earlier, the Bucks could be the best linebacking unit in the league. I mean, last year, JPP, nine and a half sacks, Devin White, nine sacks, Shaq Barrett had eight. 
how is Prescott going to buy any time against this fierce pass rushing group? I think that's the key to the game because it's how the Bucs beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. How is that going to do this with no line? That's exactly my point. So when you you take Martin out of the equation, and remember, th- that is why the Buccaneers won the game, because they could not protect Mahomes, who's running around. It was never going to work out. That is why they won. For, you can speak about Brady to a blue in the face. It, it is what it is that, look, they, he's a winner again. But they won that game on the strength of their defense, to be fair. And that's a very good offense that they, that they shut down. They kept the nine points, right? Tampa should win the game. And I honestly, I, I don't even care if they lose this game. I, I'm more interested to see if the defense comes to play or not. They need to not get blown out. They need to not, they need to be within a score in the fourth quarter. I think the most bullish thing if you're a Cowboys fan of them winning the game is Michael is wearing a Jameis Winston jersey. I think that's bad juju. So I think that's good for the Cowboys. That's the spirit. That, that, there you go. But just, I, I will tell you that like nobody thinks the Cowboys are going to win. Ergo. If they do, it's a shocker. I think in, in that way, like as much as I think the Bucs don't care, as much as I think the Bucs are going to cruise to their division championship and, and home games in the playoffs, they kind of need to win more than Dallas does. You know, this is like their first game with actual people in the stands, like, like a full stadium at home. You're, you're def- defending. This is the first time people are going to see Tom Brady play football in a Bucs jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So that's important. And I think, like I said, I th- for Dallas, it's house money. You're walking in with, you know, your quarterback's back for his first game. Like, you have expectations too, but no one thinks you're going to win here. The line's like eight, right? So pe- teams that are eight-point favorites don't lose um, that much, unless I bet them. Um, so for me, I think Tampa wins this game. But if they don't, Mike's going to hear about it. Yeah, I'm a – no, I'm not really concerned about this game, but I know next Tuesday's show will be rough if I uh, the Bucks lose the first game. Um, yeah, listen, like Brian said, the, the Bucks have all the pressure on them for this game. They're Super Bowl champs. They're playing their first home game on Monday night, on Thursday night football, opening the season up. Brady's in the, Brady's at the helm. Um, I think I think to be honest, I think they're going to be a little bit rusty. I don't think they're going to have that real fire that they came out with before. Um, I think it's going to be a back and forth game, to be honest with you. I mean, I think the Bucs will win this game. I think it's going to be like a 28 21 game. Uh, they'll make some mistakes. I think both teams will. The, the, the big factor is, I think, for Brian's sake, is Dak comes out and has a good game. If he comes out and just, you know, I'm not saying stinks to join out, but doesn't play like the Dak, I mean, you got to be a little bit concerned because that could be an injury for him. Uh, yeah, but I, I would be much more concerned if their defense looks like trash again. Yeah, because it doesn't matter what it, they're not going to get. They're not going to score forty points a game again. Not going to happen. So yeah. you need that defense to look like they're a professional football level defense, which they were not last year. So like I think that they need to play well. If Dak struggles, that's the injury. If Zeke struggles, Zach Martin's not playing. The defense is at full board. So I don't want to hear it. Like I need you to appear to be like you can actually play the part of a pro football defense. So if you guys want a little tip, if you guys are in any kind of suicide league, I would hold on to the Bucs as long as you can until week four because Tom Brady goes back up to New England. Um, He is going to be so jacked for that game. He might throw nine touchdowns in that game. So that that could be the week (laughs) you use him. I mean, I'm looking forward to that game so much this year. I even tried to get tickets, and I can't find anything under 950, a ticket. So it doesn't look like I'm going. Yeah, that – yeah, that week four game is going to be insane. Thinking about it, uh, Brady going back to New England—that's that's going to be Super insane. Super Bowl champ, twenty years there, and he's going home for the last time. It's, yeah, how could you set that up any better? No, I, absolutely. Um, now let's pick this game. Uh, 
Mike, I'll start with you with the defending champs coming in here. Do you have a do you have a, like a final score prediction or where do you think this game's going? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Bucks win twenty. Actually, I'll say thirty-one to fourteen. I think they cruise in this game. They they make some mistakes, but um, I I think they they should cruise in this game and, and win this game because they're mm-hmm. at home. They're opening the season up. I mean, not not Brian because I think Dallas is going to be there at the end. But um, I, I just think this is a game the Bucks have to win and, and win, you know, kind of convincingly. Uh, this game just screams to me the Cowboys are going to cover, like, at the end. So, like, give me, like, a 28-24 type thing. Like, I think they fi- – backdoor cover. They, they could be yeah, down, yeah. 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 down, like, 28 to, to 17 or something. Like, yeah. whatever, 28-23, they go for two or something to make it, like, 20-25. Like, they'll get one at the end just because I think the money is coming in. Mm-hmm. When the money's coming in, you want to be on the opposite side of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James – what do you think? 24-6 Tampa. Six. Wow. All right. Well, all right. Oh, <laughs> man. I'll take over six and a half on a Starbucks. How about that? <laughs> James, I just want to run this by you. The yeah. Cowboys, and again, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not picking the Cowboys, but the Cowboys lead the all-time series 15-4. to four. These teams haven't met since 2018, so how ironic is that? Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and take the Bucks, but I'm not going to take 24-6. to six. I'm actually going to take 24-16 Bucks. Um, I think Dallas is going to keep it close. Um, I, I just I think Tampa Bay has a little bit more firepower in them at this point. I think they have – a few more weapons as crazy as that sounds because the Cowboys have a whole bunch. I think the Bucks are just slightly more loaded than Dallas. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And I'm really excited for this football game. Guys, do you have any final thoughts on this game before we let you both go here? Um, I'm just, you were excited for football in general, just to be back. It's week one. The Cowboys will score at least six and a half points. <laughs> Um, give me the hard over on six and a half. Look, you, you, the Bucks are always known for Aguayo picking him as a kicker early. They they brought this kid in, um, Jose Borgales. He's 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 been doing well in preseason. I don't. I mean, the Bucks can't seem to get it right in kickers. Um, I mean, they did last year with suck up, but um, you know, this year they got Borgales in there, and he should be he should be he should be the guy until suck up gets in there because I know he's 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 injured right now, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, the Bucs, I think, cruising this way, hopefully. Yeah, I think special teams, we don't really talk about that that much. I know you talked about uh, Darden in the beginning. He'll be returning yep. punts. But I think that will play a factor as well. And, James, just so you know, if the Cowboys mm-hmm. do score six and a half points, you'll be sending Brian a Starbucks coffee all the way from Long Island down to South Jersey. So, Well, um, hold, <laughs> I technically won't be on the island. I'll be in Michigan. So it'll be from Michigan. Right. Jersey. I want to get some action on that too. I think they're going to score. <laughs> if, they, if they score, hey, listen. If, if they don't score a touchdown, I'm gonna be like, you know what? <laughs> when when hockey, when, when, at, at that point, when's hockey season start? Because I'm not even gonna care. Like, yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Guys, if you can just plug the sports box one more time, really do appreciate both of you joining us here tonight. Listen, so Sportsbox is is a network very much like review and preview. We've been doing this for a number of years. We have. 
uh, probably way too many shows at this point with way too many people, but it's a lot of fun. Our, our team has a blast. We actually just did a, our first ever live sports box fantasy draft last week, which was a yeah. total, that, that was a lot of fun. So all the guys have a great time. You know, we're covering mostly everything. Uh, I have a Rangers show because why not? Um, there's every, we do everything. So Mike and I are on Tuesday nights at eight 30, except for tomorrow, because I have a, I have a draft and I don't miss my draft, but throughout football, <laughs> we, we really look back at, at the previous week's games on Tuesdays, kind of like, you know, the storyline, coming out of that week and that's what i mean the nfl i mean week to it's a week to week league so things are always constantly changing we try to break it down tuesday nights uh but we have shows almost every night so check out the the lineup i'm sure you'll find something that you like if it's not us yeah and we're going to start our sunday uh preview show soon that's going to be fun we had our first remote last week uh since 2019 from a uh, place in hampton showcase sports that they were phenomenal to put us in there uh there'll be many more remotes and listen we're just guys that that talk sports, have a good time with it. And, and listen, we're having a blast. We're moving the needle. We get more and more people all the time and, and it's a great ride. So Tom, and I always, and I always say this, the, the best part about what we do is the people that we meet and we've had a chance to come yeah. friendly with you guys. And yep. it's, it's, it's fun interacting with you and collaborating with you. I hope that continues. Mm-hmm. Yep. Appreciate you guys taking the time, gentlemen, good luck to both of you on Thursday night. Make sure to check out the sports box on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you can find um, the sports box on social media, they're there. Uh, guys, one last time, thank you so much. And we'll have to chat, chat with you again soon. Tom Absolutely. and James, thank you very much. Go Bucks. No Go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you guys. Take care. Take care. All right. That was Brian Atard and Michael Etta from the sports box. They are awesome guys, really down to earth, just Love talking sports with them, chopping it up. James, really appreciate it. And at this time, we're going to bring on our guest of Sports 360 AZ, Jordan Spurgeon. Jordan, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys doing? You're sounding great. Contact's looking good. So glad to be here. Appreciate it. I know you've been really busy the last few days. You've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, I saw you were on the sideline interviewing somebody from a high school football team. Can you tell us a little bit as to what you've been up to lately? Yeah, lately it's uh, football is like all that's on my mind. Like 95% of my football, the other 5% is like, what am I going to eat today or when am I going to sleep kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, out on the sidelines, I started hosting a new high school football show at Sports 360 AZ, uh, talking about different things going on, interviewing coaches, doing some social media stuff, and then just going out to games, telling stories here and there. So rivalry game where one of the rivals had never won ever. So I don't know how it was called a rivalry. And then they finally won, so it was pretty exciting. Hmm. Then the next day, flew to Las Vegas to cover the University of Arizona versus BYU. Brand new Allegiant Stadium. If you guys ever have the chance to go out there to watch the Raiders play there or whoever play there, it's freaking beautiful. That's probably – I haven't been to Dallas yet to see the Cowboys game. It might be better than what the Cowboys have going on there. It might be better than Jerry World, which I didn't think was possible, but it's a freaking (laughs) beautiful stadium, and that was, like, amazing. Wow. So – Raiders, wow, that that's interesting because yeah. I remember the Raiders were, were playing on an old baseball field. So yeah, you know, like that's such an upgrade for them. I mean, I'm happy for them too. But um, obviously, you have been analyzing the Arizona Cardinals for a little bit now, and I believe you're working for them this year, correct? You've been doing some work for them. Yeah, at Sports 360 AZ, we just kind of cover them here and there. So I've been going out to practices when I have the opportunity, just you know, doing the pressers and kind of observing things and taking notes and writing the occasional column on them. So, yeah, we're going all in on the Cardinals, and we'll see what they bring this year. 
And that leads me to my first question. Last year, you guys finished in the middle of the pack, third in the NFC West. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on the man under center, the guy that everybody's looking at, including myself, because I happen to like him a lot. Quarterback Kyler Murray entering year number three. What are your expectations for him heading into this very pivotal year? Because our quarterback is heading into a very similar situation up in New York. Yeah, with Kyler Murray, this is sort of the make-or-break year. Uh, he made really good strides from his rookie year to his sophomore campaign. Last year, I believe, preseason, I picked him to win MVP. Like, I thought he was going to take an even bigger step forward. It didn't quite happen. But I think he's ready to take that step. The only concern I have with Kyler, and it's mostly just from being around the team and, and saying things, and it, it could be a lot of speculation because there's just speculation with a lot of teams. A lot of people are saying he's not – super passionate about football the way he was baseball. And I think at the time it, everyone's like, he must be passionate about football if he chose to give back the money to the A's when he was drafted in the first round by the A's and then decided to play football. But I think in his mind it was crap. I just won the Heisman. I'm going to be the number one overall pick. How do I turn that down? And I'm not saying that's true. That's a lot of speculation. But if that is true, this Cardinals team is in a lot of trouble because that means he's not putting in the work to make that development. But it'll be interesting. I think he has – but there are still some concerns. Preseason football doesn't mean a whole lot in my eyes, but your perception about preseason football matters. Look at Patrick Mahomes talking on the sidelines and maybe he's just saying the right things. Hey, I look forward to being out here and getting work done and kind of getting my timing down with my receivers. And Kyler Murray was like, yeah, I don't really want to play in these games. I'm good. I don't really need to. And then first time goes out, offense in two series, pick up one total yard. So it's a little bit concerning for me with Kyler Murray. The talent's there. The ability is there. Does he really want it? Has he been getting after it? I'm not 100% sure. That's the only question. If he wants it, they're going to be just. Yeah, I mean, last year, 26 touchdowns, 11 rushing. And he has a backfield that features the likes of uh, Fordham product, Chase Edmonds, uh, right up the road from where I am. And this is a guy who's entering his fourth year, a guy who's been relatively quiet his first three seasons. Now, I know the Cardinals brought in James Conner. What is the running back situation like right now? Because I feel like it kind of impacts Murray a bit as well as far as what he's able to do based off the running game for this team. Yeah, this is really the the difference for the team this year. Cliff Kingsbury said he doesn't want Kyler running around as much as he has. He knows he will because that's part of his instincts. And so that's all going to depend on Chase Edmonds and what he does. I think everyone realizes what James Conner brings to the table. I don't see any sort of bounce-back scenario where it's like he was the first couple years there in Pittsburgh, back during the Le'Veon Bell era when they had to get rid of him, and James Conner kind of took the role. So I think Chase Edmonds has the opportunity to basically steal 70% of the carries. Like I think that potential is right there. And I think he's ready for that. His body looks like it's in better shape. He's been injury prone, though, the last couple of years. That's why he's never really taken over that load. And then they had Kenyon Drake in there in the backfield with him, who kind of was the power back. Now James Conner fills that role. But I think what all indications are, based on what I've seen in practice and what they're saying, Edmonds is going to get about 70% of the carries. Is he going to score a lot of touchdowns? I think Kyler Murray steals a lot of those. I think James Conner steals some of those in the red zone. But I still think as the guy getting most of the carries on first, second, and third down in many situations, I think he's going to do just fine and, and put up close to a 1,000-yard season as long as he stays healthy, which is really the caveat with like any running back. But for him especially, when he hasn't put a full season together, I think it's very possible if he does so this year. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's any breakout player in that backfield for Arizona. I think that could potentially uh, make or break their offense a little bit. James and I, when we're formulating these questions, we know <laughs> the Cardinals' biggest strength is DeAndre Hopkins, at least on yes. the offense. He's their best individual offensive player. James, I know um, – yeah, there it is. Well, there's the question. What does he do to this offense that's been missing in years past? Yeah, he opens everything up. This is the guy that uh, plays a big role in Kyler Murray potentially taking that next step into one of those top two tiers of quarterbacks. It's because of a weapon like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he did it last year as just sort of the main guy himself with no other help around him he was able to still put up a phenomenal season and there's no reason to expect anything less this year. His ability to just make plays in any situation, double coverage, single coverage zone, man, doesn't matter. In my opinion, he's the best receiver in football. I think Devonte Adams is the better route runner, but Deandre Hopkins overall is a better receiver than Devonte Adams in my opinion. And so when you have the best receiver in football, that's, that's impactful. Um, to me, receivers are icing on cake. You need the solid foundation in the cake. That's your quarterback, your offensive line, your running game. But when you have that icing, it just makes the cake so much better. So if you have a chocolate cake and the icing's okay and it gives you a stomach ache, eh, you don't really have it. But that, when that icing is like really soothing and it kind of puts you to sleep after and you got that kind of warm feeling, you're feeling like you're in a good spot. And that's what DeAndre Hopkins is. He just makes the Cardinals offense feel like they're in a good spot. You want me now? I want cake. All right, I'm, I'll see you guys later. I just had some before I came on, so that's why that totally <laughs> popped in my mind. Like okay. I had some leftover. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna eat this, and then that just came to my mind. So yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it's crazy because um, where we are in New York, or at least my town, I kind of told James about this. The hierarchy of fan bases it's it's Giants, Packers, and then Jets, which is surprising because the Packers travel very well. So. Um, I always hear a lot about Devontae Adams, how he's the, the number one receiver in the league. And, you know, I keep trying to deflect that argument a little bit, but it's not that they're standoffish when I try to bring that up because I do agree with you. <laughs> I think Hopkins is the most talented. Adams has the better numbers because of who he has playing quarterback. And basically that DeAndre Hopkins, in my opinion, inside the 20s, I mean, he that's probably the one point of his game where they don't maybe target him as much because – uh, he only had six touchdowns last year, so I'm just hoping they get him more involved because we mentioned the 11 rushing touchdowns from Kyler Murray. That takes reps from Hopkins is where Adams is getting a lot of those reps where you know he kind of breaks off for a lot of big plays. But I also think the addition of A.J. Green will help the case of DeAndre Hopkins where it might take some attention off of him. I agree 100%. When they first signed AJ Green, I kind of wrote it off as, you know, it's nice. Maybe Larry comes back and he's just an, another weapon to have on that team because a lot of the young guys they've drafted just have not panned out so far. They've been really bad at drafting wide receivers. Rondell Moore this year could be the one to change that. We'll wait and see on him. But AJ Green, watching him at practice and everything he says, he's healthy for the first time in like three years. Like he's healthy. He's changed the way he's prepped his body. His workouts are different. His diet is different. And I think that's going to pay dividends for himself and for this Cardinals team. I really think this is a guy that as a wide receiver too, taking a little bit of pressure off DeAndre Hopkins is really going to fit in nicely with this offense and take them to another level. Because the only thing with this team that I know for certain is they're going to score points and they're going to score points at a high level. I think AJ Green elevates them to a team that, yeah, they're going to score points to a team like, okay, this offense is going to be hard to stop. Meaning, 
every week you're going to see 24 plus points from them. You're going to see 30 points most weeks from this team. And I think he's a big reason why, because he's healthy and I think he's just, he's just changed the way he's playing football. And I think that's going to be a huge thing. And you know, most guys, you play in a city like Cincinnati for a long time, nothing against Cincinnati, a change of scenery helps you. You went through quarterback issues there for a long time. Now you come in, you have a quarterback that's established through his first two seasons. You have another receiver on the other side that's established as a top three receiver in the game. I think AJ Green's liking what he sees here, and he wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to go to the first team that offers me a contract. This is a place he wanted to be at, and there's a reason for that, and I think it's going to pay dividends for them. Yeah. So speaking, staying on that offensive side, what's your offensive line concerns for this year? Yeah, this is still the biggest concern for me uh, on the team. I think this is their weakest point. They've addressed it a lot. I think the left side is solid. Rodney Hudson getting him from the Raiders, arguably a top three or five center in the league, uh, brings a veteran presence, brings some leadership. You've got DJ Humphreys at left tackle. He's been solid for multiple years. He's kind of been the guy taking the fall on a lot of offensive line Cardinals conversations over the last year, and he said he's kind of sick of the Cardinals offensive line being the reason and the blame for a lot of losses. And so I think he's really helping lead this group. I like Justin Pugh a lot at left guard, right tackle. Kelvin Beecham's a guy that's up and coming. The right guard spot is a little bit of a question mark. You've had two guys out uh, due to COVID the last couple of weeks. I like Josh Jones, their third round pick uh, two years ago or last year. Um, he really got a lot of reps and really impressed in preseason. So the talent is there individually on this line. I don't know where they are at cohesively. We saw some strides mm-hmm. last year. They went from giving up, I think, 48 sacks Kyler's rookie season to 27 last year. I think that number is going to be around the same this year. Even with Rodney Hudson being there, I don't quite know how much better this offensive line is. They have a little more depth, but I'm still not sold, especially with some really tough pass rushers they're going to face this year. The 49ers front seven is going to be a lot better. The Rams front seven with Aaron Donald, that's a nightmare to mess with. Seattle's defensive front is better than it was last year. I don't know by how much, but it is still pretty lethal front seven. So they're going to have their work cut out for them this year. It'll, it'll be interesting, but to me, that's the biggest question mark on offense for them is the mm-hmm. offensive line. Before James gets to his next question, I just want to make a statement on that too. I think your two best linemen are probably Hudson and Pugh to say the least. And I remember that because Pugh was our first round pick back in yep. 2013. And I remember the Giants line was in a very similar situation as the Cardinals line. Well, it still kind of is uh, where Pugh and our center were the best two linemen and Manning was just getting brought down pretty much every other play where there was getting hit, knocked down, pressured or sacked. I think Murray, at least he's a little more mobile where he can work around that. But I still think the sack numbers are going to be relatively high, which is where I'm concerned with for this team, because offensive line is a really tough position to find because you need five of them. Right. As we're at the guard position, you kind of scoot by with being average. At the tackle position, you can't, right? So I think that's where the Cardinals kind of have shortcomings, and it could affect their playoff status again this year if they don't gel. And and in the passing game, too, what doesn't help them is Cliff's offense combined with Kyler Murray's ability to extend plays means they have to block for longer. Like, Kyler Murray's not a guy that's going to drop back two, three drops and make a play. He's not that quarterback. He's going to hold on to the ball. He's going to run around a little bit. And that's going to lead to more sacks. No matter how good or how bad your offensive line is, that's going to lead to more sacks. It's not even a knock on Kyler Murray. That's just how it works. 
And so there's a lot of pressure on them to still limit those, especially in games and against divisional foes where Kyler Murray is going to be looking for that big play. It's something he presses for sometimes, and it's going to be their job to give him that opportunity to make those plays and get the ball to Hopkins and AJ Green down the field. Because if they can do that, this offense is going to be a top six, seven offense. I just don't know if they're there yet. Mm-hmm. So from one side of the ball, we go to the other side of the ball. You guys acquire J.J. Watt. He prepares for his Cardinals debut. What are you expecting from him? How do you think he's going to react to now a completely new system? Watt fits in. Like, he fits the culture of this team. He's changed the culture of this team. Um, Watching him up close, the first practice I saw him, I was blown away because he was the most eager to learn things. There's a lot of young guys on that defensive line. He was learning and soaking in as much as he could from the defensive line coaches and other guys on the team like Chandler Jones. He's a defensive player of the year three times over. He's an all-pro guy multiple times. And he's in here learning, not just the system, but different technique things on the defensive line. That's what's interesting about J.J. Watt. The health is a concern. That's just part of it. He's never really played full seasons, and when he has, he's been unstoppable. And – I don't have high expectations for him on the field, but I do think what he does is he gives this defensive line, which was actually pretty good last year at at Mm -hmm. spots, especially with guys like Chandler Jones. I think he gives them extra life in big moments. And that's going to be the difference for this team. They never had a guy opposite Chandler Jones that could make those plays in big moments. I felt like the defense last year was underrated, but at times in bigger moments, they got exposed. And I think adding J.J. Watt just gives you that opportunity to make those plays when it matters most. And so that's really where he's going to make his difference. I don't see him being a guy with, you know, 12, 12 and a half sacks. I think it's closer in the eight to nine range, potentially, if he plays all, all 17 games. But I think those sacks are going to come in big moments. And that's what he brings to the table at this point in his career. And that's what he wants to do. And I just think that's that's where he stands right now. It's just if he stays healthy, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about his health, too. He is on the older side of his career right now. So it'll be interesting to see how he's able to play. I think playing on a line that has Chandler Jones, I know he's interchangeable. He can play the three tech, he can play the five tech as well. So I think that really helps Watt, you know, get a little bit more one-on-one matchups against opposing offensive lines. But, um, you know, you mentioned Chandler Jones. I mean, you have Marcus Golden, Devon Kennard as a backup, but your two linebackers I really want to hone in on are, Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, two players, very young players who are both kind of, obviously Simmons didn't have the best rookie campaign, but Collins comes in high out of Tulsa. Uh, What are their strengths and what have you seen so far, particularly in Simmons, that makes you think that he might have a better sophomore campaign? Yeah, to backtrack a little bit too, to, to clear some things up for everybody too that maybe doesn't know, this situation is very interesting because you have another guy who's an all-pro linebacker in Jordan Hicks, and he was basically told on draft night, point blank, you will not have any opportunity to start on this team. It's Collins is going to play the mic, Simmons is going to play next to him. That's that. You can request a trade. You can do all that. Find a place. He's still there. He's still there, and he's going to get a lot of reps because they've figured a way, I believe, to use Isaiah Simmons outside of just playing a traditional linebacker role, which is what you, we all expected beforehand. Last year – They didn't want that. Last year, they were very sold on having Simmons play mostly up the middle. That's what they wanted from him. They they did not want him playing everywhere. And this year, I think they're more open to that because they still have a guy like Jordan Hicks there. So it'll be interesting. Zayvon Collins, I think he's actually going to have a really good rookie campaign, different than Isaiah Simmons. 
his body is ready. It's been NFL ready for a while. His attitude is there. Um, the ability to really not as well as Isaiah Simmons, but the ability to be all over the field at any given point is also going to be a healthy role for Zayvon Collins. Like I believe you're going to see him mostly playing the mic spot early on. And I think eventually you're going to see him moving around a little bit more. I think they're going to realize, okay, this guy's going to go sideline to sideline with anybody because he's that fast. He's that strong. He's that quick. So I expect him to have a pretty good rookie campaign. Um, I think he's going to be good. By the way, too, we just had a documentary drop on him today. Our guy Jordan Hammond, Sports 360 AZ, went to his hometown, Hominy, Oklahoma, small town, like a couple thousand people maybe, and just did a whole documentary on Zayvon Collins. So you guys check it out. Those of you watching, you can check it out. Uh, just talks about him being a small town guy and kind of how he went to Tulsa with no other offers and plays with that chip on his shoulder. And I think that's going to be what comes to play here for the Cardinals. He still has that chip on his shoulder. Um, he basically said at the draft, you know, anyone that passed on me all these years, like piss on you. That, that was his exact quote. That's like the best quote ever, like piss on you. That's where he's at mentally. So I think he's going to be ready. And to kind of sum that up, Simmons expect a drastically better second season for him with a full season of OTAs, full season of training camp, preseason games. You're going to, you're going to be hearing Isaiah Simmons name a lot this year. I think he's really going to jump onto the scene as kind of the guy they expected him to be last year. I think the hesitancy they had with him last year is not there this year, and they don't have that same hesitancy with Zayvon Collins like they did with Simmons. For whatever reason, I, no one here can quite figure out why they were so hesitant with Simmons. Maybe they just wanted to make sure they didn't expose him early on, but that hesitancy's gone, and it's basically non-existent with Collins. They handed him the starting job on draft night. He still had to work for it, but they handed him the starting job. That says a lot about how they feel about him. Absolutely. And I definitely would love to check out that documentary on him as he seems like, you know, a good guy who's coming to the NFL trying to make a name for himself, who kind of took that tough path towards the league, which is always something that you love to see. And then hopefully Isaiah Simmons has a better season. I mean, looking back at it, I'm kind of happy we didn't take him fourth overall, but uh, you never know how he could fit into a system. I'm sure Patrick Graham could have found the way for him. But moving on to your secondary, which is led by Pro Bowl safety Buda Baker. You do have two very young corners in Byron Murphy Jr. and Tay Gowan, who is a sixth-round draft pick out of UCF, who one of my buddies actually got to interview Tay Gowan. Very, very nice guy. Um, I really like him a lot. But are you concerned at all that opposing offense are are going to pick on this secondary, in particular the sixth-round rookie? We're going to find out early on, especially week one against the Titans. Tannehill's been an elite quarterback the last two years. Uh they thought they kind of had the secondary figured out. And then Malcolm Butler retires. I know there's a lot going on with him. I don't think anyone blames him for retiring at this point. He's got some really serious issues he's dealing with, but that's going to hurt the secondary a lot. I mean, none of the cornerbacks, even the backups are older than 24 years old. So it's a very young secondary. They're going to be targeted early on and we'll see if they answer the call. My gut tells me it's going to be a rough first eight or nine weeks for this Cardinal secondary. I think they're going to get torched a lot, and they're going to be relying heavily on the defensive front to force pressure in order to relieve some of that pressure from the secondary. Um, at the safety position, Buda Baker's going to do his thing behind him. You know, you've got a couple guys, again, young and up and coming, but I think this is the part of the team where they're really going to be relying on J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones and the young linebackers and Collins and Simmons to kind of fill those gaps. And that's part of the reason why I believe you're going to see Simmons playing a more flex role and kind of going out in coverage a little bit more because they're going to need to make up for some of those, some of that lost time, especially because, you know, Tay Gowan didn't get a ton 
of those first team reps early on with Malcolm Butler being there. He never really missed practice until he had his issues um, just a week and a half ago. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's a rough stretch. I see the potential for development by the end of the year to where they get to a level where they're at least average. Like I think they can finish the season at least average, but early on it's going to be a mess and it's going to be a concern for the Cardinals early on. So any surprise cuts with this team? For the most part, it played out pretty well. I was a little bit surprised about Keyshawn Johnson, another wide receiver, kind of a failed experiment there. I get why they did it. They wanted to have a better mix of guys. You know, obviously you have Hopkins and and Green there. Then you've got two kind of smaller speedsters and Andy Isabella and Rondell Moore. And, you know, they're carrying six receivers now, so it doesn't surprise me that they had to cut receiver seven and eight there. And it just surprised me that Keyshawn Johnson wasn't in that sixth slot. Um, But at the end of the day, he wouldn't have played much anyways. Um, Outside of that, most of the other guys cut were pretty much on par. Um, Johnson's a guy I could see being put on the practice squad, I think. I think there's an opportunity for him there to still develop because knowing Steve Kime a little bit, I don't think he likes to just turn the page and give up on draft picks too early. I think he's a little bit stubborn in that area, which is fine, but it is a position they have not drafted very well at all. Honestly, they've actually been one of the worst drafting teams. So we're seeing a lot of those young guys that have failed um, already starting to not make cuts, and that's a little bit concerning. But when you add a bunch of veterans like we did this offseason, that's kind of to be expected. That roster bubble is a really tough place to be, whether you're on the ends of that or the outs. Now, was there a player who made the 53-man roster that uh, you kind of feel like is an under-the-radar type of guy that teams should keep an eye on this year, in particular teams in uh, the NFC West? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, at linebacker, Zeke Turner's a guy that kind of stood out. Um, He's going to do a lot on special teams this year. He's kind of an ace. But I think, especially if anything were to happen to Simmons or Collins, I think he could have a a decent amount of playing time, and he would still fit in pretty seamlessly. He's not nearly as talented as them or nearly as polished as them. But I think he's a guy that has an opportunity to make some plays this year. We're going to see it on special teams to get a taste of it. And we could see a little bit on defense this year in certain packages and or if Collins or Simmons were to go down with any sort of injury anytime this year. Awesome. Yeah, definitely keep an eye out for him. Now, the NFC West, it's portrayed as the best division in football, right, because of how good it was. And I remember a decade ago how bad it was, right? Um, 7-19 <laughs> making the playoffs, the earthquake game with Marshall and Lynch where he had that insane run. Um, anyway. Uh, do you agree with the statement? Do you think it is the best division in football? I mean, Matthew Stafford is a Ram. The, the 49ers secondary potentially just got better. They're getting healthier. And now, I mean, the Seahawks are still the Seahawks. I mean, I know that they've been wishy-washy the last year or two, but they're still a team that could potentially sneak into the playoffs. So where is your head at with this division? I'm still – last year I would have said best division hands down. Early in the offseason I would have said that. There's a couple divisions I think could give it a run for its money. I think the AFC East is pretty strong. Um, Even with the Jets being in there, I think they're pretty strong. But my gut still tells me the NFC West is the best division. I think you have two legit Super Bowl contenders with the Rams and the 49ers. The Rams are built to win now. There's a reason they, quote, unquote, gave up on Jared Goff to go get Matthew Stafford because their goals align. Jared Goff is still young and developing a little bit, even though he's been to a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford's kind of had his career accomplishments. Now he's waiting for that ring. So they're built to win now. That team top to bottom is a team that has almost 
I don't want to say no future, but almost no future. They've got a window that they've extended by a couple of years by getting Stafford instead of Goff. Um, so they're right there. The 49ers, I think, I mean, last year they had the most injuries in football, it seemed like. They just had no chance. And now they've got two quarterbacks where Trey Lance is the future. Whether it's this year or next year, he's going to fit in just fine in Kyle Shanahan's offense. The potential's there. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, is the better the better guy right now for this team. He's, he's a guy that can get there to the Super Bowl. We've already seen it when he's played one healthy season. Only one season as he played all 16 games and he made it to the Super Bowl. And now if he has a healthy roster around him, the receiving core shapes out, I think they have the potential to get back there again. And then Seattle, um, I heard you guys before kind of talking, you know, maybe it's slowly going to be the end here. Um, I've always felt that way about Seattle. They're a team I always kind of almost forget about. And then they win at least nine games. Russell Wilson's never lost more than seven games. He's always had at least nine wins in his career in Seattle. So I can't even say they're not going to win 10, 11, 12 games this year because you never know with them. They could have holes everywhere, and Russell Wilson finds a way to hide them for some reason. So, and then the Cardinals, you know, even if they finish the season, you know, eight and nine, nine and eight, you know, they're probably better than their record says because of how good the top of the division is. Same thing last year. They were better than their record said. And I know they started six and three and then kind of faltered at the end, but they were a little bit better than their record said. So I think this division might be the best division in football. I think I'm not going to go all in and say this is the best division in football, but I think it's at least right there. Like They have to be in the conversation. Right. So I guess we're kind of putting all three of us on the spot here. It's like, and we'll start with you, Jordan. <laughs> Who wins this division? Who do you think is the team that's going to come out on top of the NFC West and be that team that, you know, potentially Super Bowl contender? <laughs> This is the hardest question because I could see any team winning it and I could see any team losing it, including the Cardinals. I think they're the most likely team to finish in fourth place, but I wouldn't be surprised if we looked up one day and they're 12 and five at the end of the year in first place. Like I think that potential is there. I'm not picking the Cardinals. I still think they are going to finish in fourth place. I think eight to nine wins is pretty much where they're going to finish. I think it's the Rams. I've never really been that high on the Rams, even in their Super Bowl year. But I, I think they're the best team in this division. I think Sean McVay is going to have a lot of fun with Matthew Stafford at quarterback. I think they've kind of addressed the offensive line that was slowly getting older and more injury prone. I think they've made a few adjustments this year that are going to help them out. You still have arguably a top three or two player in the NFL and Aaron Donald. Usually the players vote him number one, which they never say who the players are that actually vote because a lot of players say, I never got to vote. I don't know who actually makes these lists. But Aaron Donald's that good that whoever's voting, they're, they're pretty much right. He's a top three player hands down. Um, and the secondary is talented. I, I think this is the year the Rams put it together and go back to kind of what they did in 2017 when they were just that team. I, I think I think they're there. I, I think they're the team that's going to win this division. I think 12 games gets it done because while all teams are really good, you're just going to beat each other up in division. Like if you go three and three in this division or, you know, four and two in this division, you're winning the division in my opinion because there's no one going to go six and zero. Oh, there's no one that's going to go five and one. If anyone goes four and two, I'd be shocked. So long-winded, but I think the Rams are probably the team to beat in this division right now. I like that. James, what do you think? I would like to say San Francisco, but they've been up and down over the past few years, in my opinion. I would stick with – I would go with the Rams as well. Yeah, I mean, as much of a, you know, vanilla pick as that might be because of, you know, all the hype around them this season, I do think they're going to come out on top. They've had the Seahawks number for years. You mentioned the Cardinals, how they're likely to finish in fourth. Uh, I do somewhat agree with that, although I do think if there's another team that could be, it could be Seattle. 
depending on if those holes are derailing this team where Russell Wilson just can't drag his feet anymore and uplift them to the playoffs. Um, But, yeah, I'm going to go with the Rams and then either the 49ers or the Seahawks finishing in second. Um, How many wins do you think the Cardinals – you mentioned the the 8 to 9 range. Do you think that's going to be where they fall or – yeah, I'm thinking eight to nine. Uh, pressure's on. If that's the yeah. case, and they don't have a winning record, um, I think Kingsbury and Kime are out. I think they have probably probably the shortest leash as a GM quarterback duo in the league this year. The Bidwells don't play around. They're very short winded. Most coaches don't make it more than three or four years here. Ken Wisnut made it a little bit longer because you know he had he had a little bit of success. Um, but this team hasn't made the playoffs in five years. And if Kingsbury's offense looks a little bit dysfunctional again and not clutch at times, if the defense sort of falls apart um, and some of those draft picks that haven't lived up to the expectations, if they don't, I think Kime and Kingsbury are out. And I think they finish at eight wins. I I just, I don't see them being a team with a winning record this year. I I think they're close and it's in the realm of possibility, but I think there's still too many question marks and they play a really tough schedule. So that doesn't help either. Right. I'm with you on that. Now, our, our last question, uh, James is going to pull it up now. Uh, week one, Cardinals at Titans. What's the key to beating Tennessee? Because obviously Derrick Henry is a monster, and you're going into <laughs> Tennessee at a 1 o'clock start, which is never a good thing for a West Coast team, regardless of, of how good they are. Uh, yeah, so what what's the key to beating Tennessee? They got better. They got Julio Jones in the offseason. Their defense is still very suspect, but – what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, it's gonna have to be a, it's gonna have to be a shootout. I mean, you have to be able to put up thirty five plus points because you mentioned, you know, Julio Jones in the mix there, um, AJ Brown. I mean, the two young corners are gonna have a, a time slowing that down. I know Julio Jones hasn't been himself maybe the last two years, but again, he's another guy that like AJ Green. I'm not counting out to have a bounce back season and still be an elite receiver. Like I think he's gonna fit in in Tennessee fine. Same thing, change of scenery, different different offense, different setup. So the key for them is literally going to be if you can top 35 points because that Titans defense, I mean, anyone can score on them unless they've gotten better, which I don't know if they've added enough to get that much better this offseason. So that's going to be the key. You're going to need Kyler Murray to be dialed in. Like he's going to have to be able to find DeAndre Hopkins, you know, target him 10 to 12 times at least. And, you know, if Hopkins comes away with eight catches for 130 yards and a a touchdown or two, uh, you'd have to be feeling pretty good as a Cardinals fan as someone that, you know, as a a game they would be able to win. I don't think there's any stopping Derrick Henry. So I think it's just going to come down to can the corners make enough plays. They're not going to make many plays, but can they make enough plays at the right times against Ryan Tannehill and Julio Jones and AJ Brown and get those stops at the end of the game? Because it, regardless, I think Tennessee's going to drop 30 on them. And I think the Cardinals have the potential to drop 30 as well. So it's going to be interesting, but the young secondary, they're going to be the ones that step up for the Cardinals if they're going to win. James. I think it's going to be good. Um, personally, looking forward to it. Maybe there'll be an upset. Titans, again, like you said, Jordan, they just, you know, their defense is just something else in a, in a different way. Um, but I think it'll be a lot closer than people are expecting. It's going to be – you're not going to see a blowout with these two teams. It's going to be a lot closer match. I'm excited to see Bud Dupree. His first game in a Tennessee Titans uniform. I think we mentioned the offensive line is concerned. DJ Humphreys at left tackle has been there for a while, but I think him against Bud Dupree is going to be that matchup where, or wherever Bud Dupree is lined up, if they're going to be able to contain him. I mean, we mentioned that 
I mean, they look, they lost some players on defense. Adoree Jackson, he didn't play much last year anyway. They lost Malcolm Butler to the Cardinals, who now we know what's going on with Butler. Um, Tennessee is not the same defense they were a couple of years ago. So um, despite having Jayon Brown and those guys at that linebacking core, I mean, I just don't know if Tennessee's defense is going to be able to hold Arizona either, which is why I'm having a hard time picking this game. I know they're favored by three at home. I think that's the line under three for Tennessee. So I'm going to go. This is this is tough. I'm going to take Tennessee by the skin of their teeth. I just think their offense right now is slightly better um, because of the options that they have. I think Brown, Jones and Henry are an outstanding trio. And I think that's a slight upgrade over um, Hopkins, Green and then Edmonds. So that's where I kind of stand with that. I have the Titans inching them out in a close one, but the Cardinals, who knows, maybe they turn around and they pull this one off. I think this, this game is on high upset watch for sure. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think Tennessee is going to edge them out. It's a close game. Um, I I think that's where it stands. Like Tennessee is kind of like the, to me, the Seattle of the, of the AFC team that it's easy to forget about. You can kind of discount them. Ryan Tannehill is kind of, you know, whatever. And uh, next thing you know, Ryan Tannehill's having an elite year. Tennessee's winning a lot of games, winning the division. They upset somebody in the playoffs. So I could see that being the case again for Tennessee this year. So I'm not surprised at all if they beat the Cardinals, whether it's close or not in this in this first game. I, I think they should beat the Cardinals, in all honesty. James, are, are you 3-0 three, three and oh here on Tennessee? Or because usually when that um, happens, the other team wins. So Yeah, I'm 3-0. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's early so, okay, on. The Cardinals are going to win then. That's right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Arizona Cardinals, uh, high upset alert, maybe 38-35 score. That would be nice. Cardinals edge out the Titans. Imagine that. But, Jordan, wanted to thank you a lot for hopping on tonight. Really appreciate your insight on anything. Is there anything else you wanted to add if you want to uh, plug your social media and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, you guys are doing great. Thanks for having me on. Twitter up here. I'm missing the underscore because they didn't have one. I got to draw one on this beautiful little thing I made. I'm going to show us Spurge underscore. You can follow me there. That's where all my content is. And, um, yeah, just eager for the NFL season to start. Got off to a hot start with high school football and college this weekend. And now the Sunday grind begins starting on Thursday. Bucks and the Cowboys. Very excited for that game, by the way. I saw you guys had someone talking about the Bucks earlier. Very excited about Tom Brady and the Bucks. I think they're the team to beat this year i think it's not close i think they are in their own tier so i'm excited to see what they do against the cowboys in in week one on thursday night that's right we have a patriots fan talking about the cardinals so but um <laughs> hey look i'm excited for that week four matchup as well so um that'll be a lot of fun up in foxborough for sure I, the tickets were insane for that game like the lowest ticket was like 900 something so yeah i don't i don't know if if that's where, I mean, who knows? We'll see, but I'm definitely picking Tampa Bay that week, but Jordan, anyway, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Really, pre- really appreciate it. Best of luck to the Cardinals, to the Patriots this season. Uh, until then, thank you so much. Have a good one, Jordan. Yeah. Thank you guys. Have a great night. All right. So thank you very much, Jordan, for joining the show. That was Jordan Spurgeon of the Spurge. You can also follow him at um, his Twitter account at that at the Spurge and um, the Sports 360 Arizona account as well, which where he is covering the Cardinals from there. And James, I wanted to remind the folks before we sign yes. off that our 
10-year anniversary show of Review and Preview airs next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. At 7 p.m. We're, we're going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the birth of the show. It was started 10 years ago by a guy who now lives in South Carolina. His name is Johnny Montalbano. He's been a guest in the past. He will be kicking us off joining the show. That's going to be a lot of fun. Then we're going to have Brian Marbach and Tommy the Mac McNamara on, and we're going to try to get Greg Vavernick and Fonz DeFalco, who will be appearing on the show as well, taking you through a time lapse of all the main faces here on Review and Preview. So there is a lot in store for next week. That is going to be a special long episode. I'm not saying we're going to go three hours, but that show, that show is going to be a long one. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That That's going to be a good one. And, um, you know, to see all their faces again, I only knew a few of them when I joined Tom, when you asked me, um, but had conversations when they called into the show, when we were back in the studio and whatnot, I'm sure it'd be great for you to see them face to face again, able to reminisce in a sense, but also talk some sports at the same time, like you guys would always do. So it's going to be an exciting show next week. Sounds good. James, thank you very much for joining me tonight. On behalf of James Montefusco, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Have a good night, everybody.